0: Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench podcast network.
1: all right the MMA Outsiders is here once again it's episode 22 Talvano here along with Dan Dando, and we have a special guest joining us right now I uh, might know him from mmanews.com he actually worked with him and I over at Ansided uh and MMA Curtis Calhoun Curtis thanks so much for joining us
0: yeah thanks for having me uh uh, there's definitely no shortage of uh, MMA topics to discuss. That's for sure. We were talking uh, just before we went live about that. So glad to be Absolutely. here and uh, hope you guys are doing good.
1: Yeah. Thank
2: you. Absolutely. Thanks again for coming on. And as you alluded to just a second ago, no shortage of MMA topics to discuss. I feel like I say it every week on this show, but MMA and combat sports is the one area of the sporting world, I guess you could say. Um, where there is no off season. And uh, if uh, if Saturday night didn't prove that, I don't know what, I don't know what did. So, yeah.
1: So uh, for those of you who were uh, not aware, there was a major news story that kind of broke on Saturday night after the UFC. So much so that today's episode of the MMA outsiders is going to be a little bit different in that, Usually we have the three or four big news stories and we'll talk about fights coming up, fights that happened. Today, that format is out the window. We will get to our UFC 283 with Zan and I, our little preview in just a little bit. But we're not going to talk about Vegas 67. We're not even going to talk about three big news stories because there is only one big news story to talk about. Before I get to any of that, make sure to hit that like button, make sure to subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you get notified about everything here on the Empty the Bench Network, from us here at the MMA Outsiders to Empty the Bench Game on, so much more. Follow us across the social media at MMA Outsiders, ETB, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, ETB Network as well, to follow the uh, network account across social media. You can see our socials scrolling across the bottom there. Uh, As always, that over there is Zan. You can find his work over at BJPen.com. You can find my work over at fan at MMA. Curtis, you see his Twitter scrolling across, and you can again find his work over at MMAnews.com. So let's get into this little roundtable discussion. The big story John Jones is back. John Jones will return. He will fight for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. It will take place, as we have long suspected for the past several weeks on the MMA Outsiders, at UFC 285. March 4th his opponent however will be Cyril Gunn it will not be Francis Ngannou and that is the other big domino to this story Francis Ngannou is now the former UFC heavyweight champion and well he is now a former UFC superstar the UFC and Francis Ngannou have been unable to come to terms on a new contract and the two have parted ways the word released has been thrown around, but it even got us a, that word got us a little heat on social media from one Loretta Hunt. So, uh, sure let's, did. let's change the let's change the that the two were unable to come to terms, they have parted ways. Now, what makes this different from a normal free agency and why the word release has been thrown out is the UFC has decided and President Dana White have decided to back off. There will be no matching period, there are no little waivers and whatnot. It's over, it is done Francis is gone from the UFC And there is no You know, he's the champion And then as John Ennick would say When the cage door closes on Jones and gone Then all of a sudden the title state. No, none of that Vacant heavyweight title now First time the heavyweight and light heavyweight championships Have both been vacant in the UFC Since their 1997 inception Per Mike Bone of MMA Junkie And honestly, as uh, Bone followed up The first time any two championships in the UFC have been vacated simultaneously, which of course is going to end, we think, on Saturday night when Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill battle for the light heavyweight title. But the here and now, Jones versus Gond is official. Francis is gone from the UFC. Uh, Xan and I did a whole 50 minute impromptu episode on uh, Saturday night following the news break. So, Curtis, since you are a guest, what was your immediate reaction to the news that Dana White broke at the press conference?
0: Yeah, it was pretty crazy, right? Because it, it really goes to show that so much can happen in a short period of time. But this is this is something that's been kind of brewing for the past couple of years for Francis Ngannou in the UFC. Obviously, they, you know, pretty much ever since Ngannou earned the title over Stipe Miocic at uh, UFC 260, it seemed like there was an ongoing contract dispute and, and talks of boxing and, and fighter pay and all that. And this was kind of the icing on the cake and the end point of, of everything that's kind of happened the past uh, two years or so. And, and it's just crazy. Um, I think um, I, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about fighter pay and, and all that. And, and while I think that is a valid issue in this case, I don't think it is the issue. I think The biggest reason that Ngannou and the UFC couldn't come to terms was the stipulations of the contract, a la, you know, not being able to have that flexibility to, you know, fight a Tyson Fury, to do boxing, to do other things. Um, And I think that is something that, you know, I think a lot of people are wondering about in terms of... Is this kind of the starting point of, of something that could change in terms of those contract stipulations? Personally, I don't see it happening because I feel like Dana White is, is stubborn and kind of set in his ways in terms of not allowing that flexibility that Bellator allows or, or the PFL and, and so on and so forth. But um, it, it's pretty crazy that you have a guy in Francis Ngannou, arguably the, the best heavyweight MMA fighter in the world. I don't think a lot of people will argue against that and he's a free agent and he can do whatever the heck he wants. And there's no matching period, as you mentioned. And uh, it's pretty wild that we've come to this point.
2: For sure. I wanted to follow up on, uh, on everything you just said and ask. It seems, it seems to Tom and I and to a lot of other people in the space that the two biggest uh, promotions that are going to start to go after him now are the PFL and Bellator. And I'm just curious, what do you think is the better fit for him if he chooses to go either way? And do you also see this being kind of like um a Chris Cyborg deal where she'll fight a couple times in Bellator but she will also try Korean boxing, which is what she's done, could you see Francis taking that same path?
0: Yeah, I, I that's a very good question. I think if you're picking between those two promotions, let's just um, you know, let's throw all their all other options off the table, right? I feel like the PFL. If if you're looking at what Nganu wants, you know, obviously he wants a big paycheck, which he got offered by the UFC. He wants that flexibility. He wants, um, you know, that stipulation to go out and fight a Tyson Fury. I think you're going to check all those boxes if you go to the PFL. Now, um, Bellator, while they allow that flexibility, I I don't feel like they have the financial. Um, space to really give Ngannou that kind of contract now he said in the past that money really isn't the issue here it's about the terms of the contract now you know I mean obviously you'd get that with Bellator but if you're looking at all the boxes that you could check I wouldn't be shocked at all if Nganu looks at the PFL looks at no offense the PFL's heavyweight roster but it's not to the extent of Bellator's heavyweight roster, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like we can all agree with that. So if you're looking at, you know, lesser competition, same amount of money you could probably get from the UFC and getting that flexibility, you would check all those boxes, no doubt.
1: Which is funny because I saw uh, Brad Whedon uh, tweeting out basically his thoughts, and he said that basically the one downside to his free agency and leaving the UFC is you look at the matchups he could have had with the UFC versus the matchups he will, he will have with either Bellator or the PFL that basically nothing that Bellator or PFL could do in terms of heavyweight opponents can compare to a Francis Ngannou versus John Jones, a Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic three, a Francis Ngannou versus a Cyril Gant two even. And while I kind of agree, you are right that I think he's looking at the bigger picture. He's not just looking at, mma opponents because as i agree with you curtis he is the best heavyweight fighter in the world mm-hmm. and he is the biggest uh free agent that has hit the market i, th- I guess if you want to say since chris cyborg and her release a few years ago or at this point you could even say and i think zan you made the comparison on saturday night since fedor left affliction mma in the late aughts and we had those rumors about him versus Couture, and then him versus Lesnar. And now here we are with the biggest heavyweight, the, who was the UFC heavyweight champion. We have not mm-hmm. seen a champion from the UFC part ways with the promotion since BJ Penn was the welterweight champion in 2004. We nearly saw it in 07 and 08 with Couture when he was the heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the reality has set in that the heavyweight champ, the supposed baddest man on the planet is eligible to do whatever he wants. And we're looking at the bigger picture. Curtis, and we, Zan and I talked about this on Saturday night, but it seems like the winner of this free agency battle, if it truly is between Bellator and PFL, at, at this point, the number two spot for MMA promotion in the world could be on the line in this free agency. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and
0: you got to look at it as... You know, PFL has really closed the gap, right, in terms of adding the talent that they have over the past uh, few months with Aspen Ladd, Tiago Santos. Um, you know, say what you will about Jake Paul, but he brings a lot of attention to the sport. And he does. And he's going to bring a lot of attention to the PFL, and, and that's going to be a really big win for the PFL, I think, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're totally right. This This really is, you know, the battle of – who's going to be that next promotion that's going to compete with the UFC. Now, if the PFL lands in Ganu and, you know, gives him what he wants in terms of the stipulations, the contract, all that stuff, um, that's really going to make the UFC look very bad, to be honest. Um, And I think that could really cause a domino effect in terms of adding those big name talents to other promotions like the PFL Bellator, um, because they're able to offer that flexibility. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, uh, how the domino effect kind of plays out
2: for sure. This is kind of an outlier thing that I'm thinking about, but uh, I'm always keeping in the back of my head that there could be a situation where he goes to one of these promotions and nobody wants to fight him. And, and it's almost like, okay, what does he do now? And then who knows, maybe he's forced back into a UFC contract again because, is nobody wants to? Be, this is not that nobody would want to see him fight. It's just that nobody would want uh, to fight him because they're either well not scared that they would lose to him, but there would just be no no worthy competition for him to fight. But it's going to be a very interesting story, and it's a story that that's been brewing for over a year. And I think we now know the answer to why Dana White was not cage side when God lost it. For Francis, and it was simply because there was likely some negotiation and stuff going on, and they probably weren't happy that they were, that they were almost stuck when he won. And and of course he was injured. So that kind of wrecked their whole plans. And now I think the big storyline is going to be, if John Jones beats Darrell Ghan, then half of the people are going to say, oh, he was the real heavyweight champ to begin with. And then the other, and then the other half of the people are going to be like, we'll never know, we'll, we'll never know who really won the biggest UFC fight since Khabib versus Connor, And, that's going to be the most un- unfortunate part. I did tweet this the night of the announcement. I said, in my lifetime, I've been following the sport since two thousand six. Francis versus John Jones is in my top three biggest fights that never, that never took place, and I think it will always be on that short list of fights that we all thought we were going to get, but it never, it never happened.
1: What were the other two? It was like Khabib, Tony, and was it Fedor? Brock? Uh, yep. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I put an honorable mention of George uh, St. versus Anderson Silva.
1: Hmm.
0: Zane, I want to challenge you on one thing uh, you mentioned. And I don't necessarily disagree with it. But I feel like when you look at Ngannou's possible opponents in the PFL and Bellator, I don't think finding an opponent is really going to be an issue here. I think the issue here is being able to add those other options to the contract. But I don't feel like with PFL and Bellator, that's really going to be an issue. Now, on the other side of it, I feel like if you're an opponent of Francis Ngannou, you know, a potential opponent, you want that fight. Because obviously, you get that win, your name value is going to skyrocket. So I don't feel like with with the talent that Bellator and the PFL are adding when it comes to the heavyweight divisions... I don't feel like that's going to be necessarily an issue. Now I could be wrong, but I feel like looking at just the landscape of those two promotions, uh, I don't think that's going to be a too big of an issue.
2: That's fair. I just don't. I just don't see unless like Bellator in my opinion makes like another splash. I just don't see the appeal of people of France is you know fighting a guy who's maybe. Who's maybe eleven and zero, or twelve and zero, or thirteen and one, and this is his first real big test. I don't know. I don't know what people are going to feel about that, but again, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. If it was, if if it was me, I think the PFL has a lot more value, and I think and I think staying on ESPN is a big deal. And especially with the new PFL Super Eight Division, he could be one of the few fighters to kickstart the whole thing, and it could be, it could be a really big investment, assuming that PFL does it the right way if they end up landing him, of course.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big thing, is you're not you're not just looking at his free agency in terms of what it'll do business-wise and fight-wise for him, but also from the perspective of the other promotions. As uh, Zan, you mentioned on Saturday, I mean, the PFL, and actually you just mentioned Jake Paul in the new Super Fight division. Jake Paul has talked all of his time about You know, wanting to better the sport, about wanting to get more rights for fighters. Like, this really feels like, uh, you said, Zan, on Saturday, this is a put-up or shut-up moment for Jake Paul. If the PFL is able to land Francis Ngannou, this is a put-up or shut-up moment for the PFL's desire to get into more super fights. And have more of the uh, pay-per-views that they kind of wanted that, you know, even the likes of you and I, Zan, were questioning Uh, when they wanted to put the championships for 2022 on pay-per-view. For ESPN, as I mentioned, it might be a little piss-off for UFC, but for ESPN, if Francis Ngannou stays on our platform and you have both the number one and number two promotions in the world, that's a huge plus for them. Bellator, as he kind of alluded to, we don't know what their situation is financially. They may have the better heavyweight talent, but there is also the perspective that bellator within the next year year and a half could be sold by viacom and now with with a very big heavy with a very big heavyweight championship match coming up to debut on cbs you know probably the biggest platform it is the biggest platform that bellator has ever had and it's but it's also their third home in the last three or four years it's the first non-ufc event to take place on network television, since the force Nashville card that ended in highly controversy, high controversy with the brawl, for Bellator they are going to need a solid show on February four, and for Francis to join there needs to be a lot of high prospects about their future. So it's also the business end, and and then of course and as a wild outside wild card. You do have one championship, but I highly doubt Francis Ngannou is going to want to go over there and fly over to Asia multiple times in a year to fight. And all the prospective opponents he could have over there. The fact that it's on Amazon Prime over here, so not as accessible as compared to uh, your Bellator or your PFLs. I mean, there's just a whole lot of business aspect, too, that could be shaken up with Francis Going to one of these promotions.
0: Well, yeah, that, you. no, go ahead.
2: No, I was just saying that. Uh, I was just saying that I that I agree with him, and I think uh, you know. Also, I really do think the winner of Fedor versus Bader is really going to tell I have to see. Okay, what does Francis do depending on who wins the fight? Because is to be honest with you, knowing that this is likely Fedor's retirement fight. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think all three of us could say with certainty that we would all be down to see a potential for Francis versus Ryan Bader matchup in the near future. So my overall point being is that that main event is riding a lot and a lot of things that aren't just Bellator related, but free agency related too. And Francis has to be at the top of the list. And you know when Scott Coker tweets an article from February of – as you're saying that he's interested in Ningano over a year later, you know that that news is telling him something that he needs to strike when the iron's hot, and people actually decided to go into his mentions and said, you missed out on so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. If you win Francis Ningano, you guys could potentially put a full stranglehold on being the number two promotion in the world.
1: So, and then that, that's the other thing that I forgot. That is Brian Bader wins and Francis Sanz with Bellator. I mean, that's the closest to a dream cross-promotion bout that we'd never get because the of the UFC's stubbornness to not do cross-promotions of Francis versus Bader for a heavyweight title.
2: For sure. And those are two former UFC heavyweight mainstays competing in a different promotion for gold. It has, it has a lot riding on it. Then the whole debate is, oh, who has the better heavyweight division? Is it is it the UFC or Bellator? I think think that potential matchup could tell us a lot if that fight comes to fruition at some point in the near future, if that's what he ends up deciding to do.
1: so no doubt about or- it.
0: And, uh, Tom, one thing I wanted to point out that I actually really agree with, and it's a great point, is, is the broadcasting rights, right? Because I feel like, you know, there's that uncertainty with Bellator in terms of, you know, the reportedly – uh, on the market this year, according to Ariel hawani he mentioned, I think, about a week or two ago that that was allegedly the case. You know, when you're when you're an MMA manager or when you're an agent or anything, you know, looking at athletes and across sports, you're looking at the bigger picture and you're looking at a lot of little things. Right. You're looking at broadcasting rights. You're looking at um, ownership stability and. And 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 that's really interesting too. And that's and that's gonna be something that Bellator is probably gonna have to move fast on in terms of adding that stability at the top, you know, to get those bigger names like Nganu and, and all that stuff too.
2: Yeah. W- one of the final questions I wanted to pose to you two before we move into the other element of the room, which is the new vacant heavyweight title fight that we're gonna get on March 4th. Uh, my final question is: If it was, if it was up to you, and you guys were, I guess the MMA deciders of the future, if you will, and you could put Francis in either Bellator or the PFL, which promotion would you put him in? And why? I, th- I think I think I would sign. Um, if I was if I was a decision maker, I think I'd have Francis sign with the PFL. I just think there's too much value for him not to go over there.
1: I agree. He, and it seems like if you saw that little social media photo with him with his relatives with one of the female members wearing a PFL shirt, it kind of has the little hint that maybe he's eyeing them especially. But I kind of agree. Yeah, Bellator has the better heavyweight talent. Yeah, they have, you could argue, maybe the bigger platform with CBS. But then you also consider, as we just mentioned, the absolute uncertainty. Yeah, they're on CBS right now with their Viacom deal and Showtime with their Viacom deal. How long? What happens if some new buyer comes in and purchases it? What's going to happen with that platform? What if I know this is an outside shot and us who, you know, like competition, don't want this to happen. But and and especially would hurt the antitrust lawsuit that's going on. But the perspective is always going to be there. What if it's the UFC that purchases Bellator? That would be a disastrous move. Plus, as I mentioned before, Superbike division, Jake Paul being there the potential for cross-promotion, the potential to fight outside of a promotion, a la a Tyson Fury or anybody like that. It seems like the perspectives, the more the better positives and the safer bet seem to be with the Professional Fighters League over, say, a Bellator.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, too. I think uh, everything we mentioned earlier with checking those boxes of everything that he probably wants in this situation are there. I think the opportunity to... Uh, work with the Jake Paul when it comes to fighters rights and fighter pay and all that stuff is a really appealing factor, too, and, and hasn't really been talked about enough when it comes to the PFL and possibly landing in Ganu. So I think when you look at everything, uh, I feel like that's the most likely destination.
1: The only thing with the PFL, if we're talking about the super tough Fight Division in um, multiple pay-per-views, is you need the talent there. Like, I remember us after the first PFL pay-per-view, we said, okay, maybe they have the opportunity to run a Kayla versus Larissa Pacheco four, but it's like, who's really going to pay for that? Especially if it's a pay-per-view, you know, mid-season, you don't have the championships on the line like you did back in November. Somebody like a Francis Ngannou, and, and if you can find another uh, talent for him, could change that. If Jake Paul is fighting on that card, that can change that. Hell, imagine if I'm just throwing this, you know, it's outside possibilities here, but imagine if Francis and Jake Paul land with the PFL and then Nadia signs with the PFL for a superbike for a superbite
2: pay-per-view deal. And then imagine if on that list Tyron Woodley joins the PFL too. Would you, would imagine would you imagine that that would be that would be one of the craziest free agent forces you've ever seen in 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 one in one promotion.
1: Like like, there's a lot, like there's a lot of high possibilities here with the PFL, and I still think it is the safer option. But there is also the chance that everything falls through and disaster could strike. But I still say PFL over uh, Bellator. My last question for me before we go on to that other angle with this vacant heavyweight title, guys. Uh, over under a month. How long does Francis stay a free agent before he signed a deal? My pick is
0: the
2: over. Yeah, my pick over? is
0: the my pick is the over two because I feel like um with Bellator's uncertainty, I feel like is probably going to wait and at least see what the landscape looks like. I don't think this is going to be a rush decision at all. Um and you also got to think about, you know, negotiating that possible Tyson Fury fight too. So he's got a lot on his plate right now. So I feel like it's definitely going to take over a month.
2: And his knee too. He's mm, got to still, he, still, still worry about that. So, could,
1: could you imagine on Bellator's first CBS show, though, let's say Ryan Bader beats Fedor, sentence to retirement, retains the heavyweight title, and Francis Ngannou is sitting there at cage side. Could you imagine the tension that would build there and the tease that Bellator would bring, even if ultimately
2: he signed with EFL? That would be that would be massive. Uh, and, it, and it would get a ton of people talking about it afterwards even the people who don't even follow the sport because it'll be on regular cbs too so even 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 people who aren't fans will be able to put a name to a face and a face to a name whatever whatever it may be yeah for yeah. sure
1: um my question is if he goes in boxes how bad is that gonna hold up the heavyweight division because here's what i need mean, uh Curtis, we have a little expression that we constantly say on this show, and that is boxing gets in its own way. And boxing (laughs) gets in its own way in trying to prevent, you know, a undisputed heavyweight champion, an Usyk versus Fury fight in this case. So, I mean, if Francis goes and fights, say, a Tyson Fury, should we look at that negatively and that, oh, great, here's another obstacle before, you know, we can have an undisputed heavyweight champion or should we look at the possibility that Fury and Gondo fight and look at it and like, you know, you know, maybe that this is a good pace of change and that maybe it's worth a little sacrifice and delaying the possibility of an undisputed heavyweight championship a little longer.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think the thing about boxing that's really killed it, especially the past few years is, is how many different promoters are getting in the way of these big fights. Obviously, everyone thought that Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. was going to happen, and it seemed like a done deal, and then that fell through. Um, I I feel like when you look at it, I think that the Fury fight, if I'm in Ganu, that's number one on my to-do list right now. I think when you look at the paycheck that you're going to get from that, the amount of eyes that are going to be on that fight, I think – Um, you know, and you look at the different elements when you look at his knee injury and and all that, I think that's probably the most likely scenario is looking at that Fury fight first. Um, And that's why I feel like, you know, in in terms of looking at over under a month, I feel like that's probably another reason why it's probably going to last longer than a month is because I feel like just hearing what Nganu said, I feel like that Fury fight right now it's his number one priority and then after that you know the real free agency will start
2: i was just gonna say too to to piggyback off that point would you imagine how massive that world tour would be that's what that's what they end up doing that would be absolutely absurd when going all over the world to the biggest cities in the world to promote that fight and then it ends up could you could you imagine if they did a fight like that at Allegiant Stadium or, or Elvis Cowboy Stadium or something like that? And they, they make it this massive spectacle. It would be it would be big. It would be really it would be really big. <laughs>
1: it would be massive. It would be definitely a blow for the UFC. Speaking of, all right, there is the other uh, element to the story. John Jones is back, although maybe not in the circumstances that we wanted. I had mentioned in my moment of mayhem on Sunday morning and kind of alluded to it on Saturday night with Zan. As much as this is not the fight that people want, that we wanted Jones versus Zinganu. We have wanted it since it was first rumored when Jones wanted to go up the heavyweight in 2020, had his little fallout with the UFC. Jones was one of several fighters around that time, along with Connor, along with Masvidal, who at one point requested their release from the UFC during the pandemic. Um, but now they have acquiesced. Jones wanted to do things right. And so here we are a couple of years later. It's going to be three years. We're talking just a year shy of the four years that it was for GSP when he returned to fight Michael Bisping for the middleweight title in Madison Square Garden. Jones is back. And I think that's the real selling point that it's going to be for the UFC because, yeah, this may not be the fight that he wanted. The heavyweight title is vacant. There's always a chance Gone could beat him. But I think they're looking at bigger picture. And Xander, you can back me up because we talked about this on Saturday night. The UFC yeah. has just raised the price of pay-per-views to what? $75, $80?
2: Uh, $84.98, 80,
1: 84. I think is what it is. $84.98. Okay, even more. You're going to have a pay-per-view this coming weekend with two championships on the line. Three weeks later, you've got Islam defending against Volkanovski, champ versus champ. Three weeks later, you have 285. Two weeks after that, you have Usman Edwards III in London. To make a fight fan purchase $85 pay-per-view four times within a two-month span, you need to make it worth it. And I think especially when you have champion versus champion and a highly anticipated rematch, in London, after the shocking upset that Edwards pulled at the middle of last year, you need something to entice the fans to purchase one more time. And John Jones's long-awaited return is that is that move.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, if you want to save money, you might be better off going to one of these four events and and paying for the other three. Is because you could probably buy a cheaper ticket to go. Other than spending eighty bucks four times. But what I was gonna what I was gonna ask, and I don't mean this in a joking manner, is do we really think that John Jones is gonna make it to this fight? You know oh, how you know how Las Vegas can get to him. There's always something bad that always happens around a John Jones fight week. It always feels like it's cursed every single time. Or be sure that John Jones will make it hey, to this fight, or is this fight gonna blow up in smoke that we can fight?
1: I, I understand that perspective. I understand that perspective. But we've seen what the UFC is willing to do with John Jones when it moved from Nevada to California December 2018 on six days notice. If something were to fall through with this, and considering the circumstances, what we just talked about with Francis leaving and the four times charging fa- fight fans for pay-per-views in a two-month span, I think the UFC would be so desperate if something happened with Jones in Vegas, they'd be willing to do it again. They'd be move, willing to move to California or Texas, even on less than a week's notice, just to ensure that Jones fights.
2: That's a fair That's a fair take. Um, on, the, on the fight itself, I'm going to pose a question to both of you. Do you guys have an early prediction for this fight, and how do you guys see this fight uh, playing out uh, from a stylistic perspective?
0: Uh, my prediction is chaos. I think this is going to be an awesome matchup. I can't wait. Um, I actually, I, I wouldn't say I'm in the minority, but I actually feel like this is actually a more competitive and will play out as a more competitive matchup than Ganu Jones. And here's why. Because when you look at stylistically, right, Gon is obviously a guy that gets a lot of credit for his standup, right? He moves like a welterweight mm-hmm. and he's a heavyweight. But I feel like a thing that doesn't really get talked about enough is Gon can also grapple a little bit, have, yeah. His his takedown defense, obviously in the Nganu fight, wasn't wasn't great, but but he had Nganu some trouble with the heel hook attempt late in that fight too. So I feel sure like when did, you look yeah. at when you look at the balance that, that Gon brings to this fight, I and, and the speed and the forward pressure, I feel like Compared to a Jones and Ganu fight, I feel like this is going to be a more exciting matchup. Um, I'm going to take the cop out in terms of not making an official prediction yet um, because I, you know, the news is still fresh and the matchup is still fresh. But man, if if you wanted to, you know, a, a really big pay per view for Jones's return, this is a great matchup to do so for it.
2: Interesting. Um, do, do you guys have any opinions on the early odds? That have come out with Jones being a plus one hundred underdog. It's his first. Uh, it's his first underdog uh, list since two thousand nine. You guys have any early impressions on what the line is looking like about a month or so out from the fight?
1: I mean, I understand it because Jones has been out of the picture for three years. But as I kind of alluded to, we have seen someone take a long layoff and come back and make history. Allah a GSP. Who's to say that John Jones can't? You know, I mean, we put Jon Jones along with GSP and Khabib in that same category of potential greatest of all time fighter. Who's not to say that Jon Jones can't do it, can't do the same, especially considering that some might feel that if Jones captures the heavyweight championship, becomes, you know, what, only one of a handful of UFC fighters to win championships in two weight classes, that maybe that might put him over the edge as GOAT, when you're talking about a debate between him, Khabib, and GSP. Curtis, as far as your claim of it's a more, you know, better fight, yeah, I kind of agree. I know I said Jones versus Ngannou was the fight that more people wanted, but I don't know how Jones would have fared with the kind of power that Ngannou could have fought. I think Jones versus Ngannou, as you mentioned, both great strikers, both very elusive Great with their grappling, because yeah, his Ghan's grappling and wrestling by far is great. I think you look at that Ghan versus Nganu fight. I think that's more of a credit to Nganu for working around an injury and working on something that had always been a weak point with him, his grappling and wrestling and being able to use it against Gone. So this Jones versus Gon fight is going to be highly competitive. For some reason, I feel like a decision win for Jones might be in the cards on this one.
2: I think um, so
1: too. Zan, let me throw a question back out of you and Curtis, you could uh, bring this in too. Cause sure. you had made a, you had made a claim Zan, on Saturday night. The UFC's nightmare scenario would be Francis leaving like he does now. And then John Jones beating gone for the heavyweight title, especially if it's in controversy and then retiring afterwards. Now granted Jones has signed an eight-fight deal. That news came out on Saturday night. But do we really think Jones is gonna fight all eight fights this deal? I highly doubt it. I so, don't
2: I don't either. I don't think so either. I think a lot of people would be shocked if he did, considering A his age and B the way that he's dominated everybody, he probably feels like he doesn't have much more to prove and end up fighting three or four fights and then being done because he feels like he's cleaned out to to entire divisions and honestly if that ends up being the case who could really blame them? That's that's what that's my thought on that.
1: Well let me counter let me counter let me go to the counter I was gonna make. is that the UFC's nightmare scenario or would it be no, more a nightmare if Francis leaves as he does now and then Ghan beats Jones?
2: It's interesting in the sense that Gone doesn't draw the same star power that Jones does. But but I do think in a positive way it makes a UFC Paris pay per view card that which um, more likely have gotten beats Jones because then right away if it's like a quick fight with a controversial stoppage you would have to do a rematch right away and that rematch would sell big time if they did it in Ghana's home country. So, oh, actually, it might end up being a win for the UFC if Ghana wins because then it builds this whole. Storyline of drama to where they could fight three times and it ended up being one of the biggest heavyweight trilogies in a very long time.
0: I, th- I, th- I think an important thing to remember too is is not only do you have Jones, do you have Gone fighting for that title, but you also have Steve Bay who's waiting in the wings too, right? So I feel like if Jones wins the title, or if Gone wins the title, really, um, you know, I think you could be looking at Miocic possibly returning in July. Possibly for international fight week, and I feel like if you're Jones, I feel like if if there's a scenario where he fights and then retires, I feel like he wins the title. He he faces Miocic in July. I could see him retiring after the Miocic fight because you know there's been that discussion of of goat versus goat per se in terms of the light heavyweight goat versus the heavyweight goat. What that matchup would look like. Um, I think that's something to keep in mind too. Now uh, answering Zane's question earlier about the odds, I'm not super surprised just because of the three-year layoff, moving up a weight class and and facing those guys with that kind of power. I mean, this isn't just a move up in weight. This is a 60 pound move up in weight. And that's massive when you look at, um, you know, when you look at the amount of uh, damage that he's taken over his career while he's Arguably, never lost a fight. The one loss that he has on his record is a disqualification. disqualification. And, Although yeah, you have could, the controversy yeah.
1: uh, decisions over the last, yeah. you know, last few light heavyweight title defenses.
0: Right. I mean, we could debate that all all day long. But I feel like when you look at it, I, I don't feel like he has a lot more to prove if he no. No, gets he that Miocic
2: win. So, Which, by the way, speaking of Jones Miocic, I mean – You want to talk about dream super fights, that would be a dream super fight.
1: Absolutely. And if you want to talk about calling your shot and making it work, I had said for the longest time when these negotiations were going on and Jones versus Ngannou was up in the air, it said, well, considering how Miocic lost the title to Ngannou in pretty one-sided fashion, all the time he had been taking all of its life, maybe his um, pull in the negotiations was getting shorter. But now that Francis Ngannou was gone from the UFC... That's that's a dream for Miocic because now, as we've been talking about, and as he's tweeted about fight, fighting in July, fighting the winner of this fight, like all of a sudden, that's now a real possibility. Now he's got some leash again. Yeah. That's yeah.
2: What... yeah. You could argue that the biggest winner this weekend was Steve Miocic, given that potential scenario, which honestly would be good because I've said it for years that I think Steve Miocic is one of the best heavyweight fighters ever, if not in some people's eyes, the consensus heavyweight go with him defending his heavyweight title um, the most times in the history of the division, which means that if the cards are played right, July is going to be a massive month for the UFC. If they're able to get that fight done and you know, well, usually July is, is when, is when the main event means more. Well, if they can get Jones Miocic done that, that could be, that could be gigantic. We'll see how that plays out. But I think, Um, As Tom and I also alluded to uh, Saturday night, it's stepping up to be, in my opinion, um, just ahead of these fights, of course, the biggest Q1 at least since I started watching the UFC, maybe even even in UFC history.
1: Yeah, for sure. At least in terms of hype. One last question. I know this would be a little bit of me and Sam, I said, putting the little tinfoil hat of conspiracy talk here, but a little convenient of timing that this news is coming out as Daniel White deals with the fallout of the new year's Eve video. Is this kind of a little at the least a little bonus for him and that some of the heat may be getting taken off of him now putting on this situation. Uh, it's, it's
0: difficult to say, right? Cause I feel like, you know, that's a whole different topic of discussion. And I feel like, this is you could you could make the case that in a way this is kind of a distraction, but it's a very really short term really distraction, distraction. I feel like because really. a, a lot of people have you know really strong opinions about what happened that night on New Year's Eve with Dana White and his wife and and the aftermath, how it's been handled. You know, UFC and endeavor endeavor you know not really speaking out on it. Um, it's it, if it's a distraction at all, I think it's very short term, and if that's you know, let's put the tinfoil hat and say, if that's his goal, I don't feel like that's going to be a long-term distraction from, you know, what happened.
2: Yeah. I don't have I I don't have anything more to, or to add to that. I guess the, the, the only thing I can say is uh, it's not like the entire new year's Eve situation is over. I think people are going to be asking about it no matter what massive fights are made in the next several weeks and months to come. So I think um, it is what it is in terms of separating the two. I mean, does, does it put the UFC back into the spotlight again? Were they liking one of the top things talked about? Sure. Does it benefit them in any way that both of these things are happening at the same time? And there's a lot of no. controversy or stinger on them. No, but that, that, that does mean that people are talking about it, which means people are interested in it. And uh, as, as all three of us know, ever since the UFC has gone uh, Hollywood, I guess you could say, they really do like as many eyeballs as possible. And this and Saga with the heavyweight division has certainly got people talking, and it's going to be a story to continue to follow both from the UFC side and from the free agency side.
1: Yeah, I guess my thought process was just, you know, we expected that maybe Dana was going to quietly go away, maybe not show up at the press conferences for, what, three, four weeks, maybe even eight weeks at the most. But then with this news coming out, you know, first fight night card of the year, which ultimately ends up being a kind of card. And there he is, post-fight press conference, announcing this kind of news.
2: Yeah, um, that was also pretty interesting because from my uh, recollection of the event, I um, he's usually pretty easy to spot Cage side. And for whatever reason, I did not see him. So I assumed no, he wasn't and so I assumed he he, w- he was not in the venue. So I don't know how that played out. But uh, I don't know. Maybe this is the UFC's way of just trying to move on the best they know how. But there's no way this is not going to continue to get brought up because people are still talking about it. And, uh, yeah, it will definitely be an interesting next several months uh, with that whole situation, how people are going to view that. And, then of course, all the fight stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I think the we- overarching theme here is is that these next few months are going to be so much fun if you're a UFC fan. If you're covering the sport, I mean, there's just going to be there's so many elements that we could talk about, and so many big fights, so many topics outside of the cage that we could talk about. And it's it's
1: going to be wild. I guess one for last sure. question. One last question for me here is when we're talking about this situ- when we're talking about this situation with Francis and Jones and Gunn, Who do you think has more pressure on them, Gone I mean, uh, and or the UFC?
2: Um, I'll start. I think that I think there's more pressure on the UFC because now they have to figure out, OK, we let Francis go. We weren't the biggest fans of him. How are we going to get people still invested in the heavyweight division who were solely invested in it? But Francis is the champion. It's going to be interesting to see how they market this fight. If it's going to be similar to a UFC 265 situation where they release the promo with the de- and his voice in it and then completely wiped from the internet or if they're just going to solely focus on Jones versus Gone, This is the fight. Francis isn't even mentioned in any of the promotional packages at all. It's going to be interesting, interesting to see how they milk it, but no matter how the UFC milks it, people are still going to have issues with it just because that's the MMA fan base and that's the way a lot of other people operate. But I do think the UFC is more pressure on them now because now they have to fill the gap. And especially if God beats Jones, for the people who have never seen God fight, need to, they need to push him in a way that they haven't pushed their champions before, or just because of the magnitude of being the heavyweight champion and being the best man on the planet. So that's, that's where I sit on it. And I think uh, the UFC will have a lot more work to do, especially, especially if God wins the bill.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with Zane. I think there's immensely more pressure on the UFC because I think another thing you got to consider too is is you don't exactly have a young group of heavyweights waiting in the wings, you know, in that heavyweight division. I mean, Stipe's 40, I think. Uh well, Francis obviously is released, but he's 36, I want to say something like that. Yeah, you know, I'm 30, Jones I, Jones I believe is 35, 36, so it's not like you have, you know, a ton of long-term options when it comes to that heavyweight division. So I feel yeah. like if you're going to let a guy of Francis Ngannou's caliber uh, leave, you know, when he's in his prime, when he's when his stock is at its, at the level it's at, I think you've really got to put up or shut up at this point.
1: Especially when you consider, like, so I was just double-checking ages. Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall, mm-hmm. Sergey Pavlovich, they're all around 30. That's your mm-hmm. up-and-comers is they're already at 30 years of age.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you also got to look at you know who's going to put butts in the seats too. Like, no offense to a Curtis Blades, but exactly. he's not exactly like a, a trash talker or anybody that you right. know you're gonna you know gonna pay the pay per view vice pay per view pay per view price, excuse me, just to see him. Right? He's just not that caliber of guy. Same with Aspinall yet, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's an interesting scenario that's playing out.
1: Absolutely. For sure. Curtis, uh, I'm going to plug you one more time here. You can, That's Curtis Calhoun. You can find his work over at mmanews.com, and you can find him on Twitter at Calhoun on MMA, if I am correct.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I really do appreciate it, and uh, let's definitely do this again. This was a lot of fun.
2: Anytime, Curtis. I hope to see you at, uh, at a Bellator or Oven in the near future, and um, thanks again for being one of the hardest – hardest work, working me- and in MMA media, I think I think I speak for both Tom and myself that we appreciate everything that you do and uh, keep, up, keep up the good work. I
0: definitely. appreciate it, guys. And uh, we definitely won't be strangers. I'll be talking to you guys soon, I'm sure.
1: Sounds Absolutely.
0: good. Thanks again. All right. You guys have a good one.
1: All right. Thanks so much to Curtis for coming on and having a little discussion with us. But that's not the only guest that we have on uh, this week's edition, Zan. It's a pretty loaded episode because now following up, we've got Dylan Rush, your friend from Cage Side Press, who will be joining us.
2: Absolutely. I'm excited to see what insight um, he brings us and if he has any bold predictions regarding this entire saga between Francis uh, Jones and Earl Gunn. So it should be a very interesting discussion as uh, – before you know it, even though quarter one is crazy, before you know it, UFC two eighty five it was gonna be here, and uh to be to be quite honest with you, uh, I mean, it's a very interesting perspective. So we're excited for you guys to watch it.
1: Joining us right now on the MMA Outsiders, we have Dylan Rush of Cage Psy Press. Dylan is here to talk more about this whole Jones gun and uh and debacle that we've been Discussing all episode long. So, Dylan, thank you so much for uh, joining us.
3: Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. Thank you guys. Good to be Anytime. here. Anytime.
1: Anytime. So, Dylan, like uh, we asked Curtis earlier, just your first take, like when Dana broke the news at the press conference after UFC Vegas 67, confirming the Jones gone uh, matchup, even though we had the sign outside of Team Mobile afterwards, but the bigger news of uh, be in the UFC or letting Nganu walk just what was your reaction immediately as he said that
3: yeah so in some ways I was very surprised being that I wasn't expecting Dana to announce right then and there that Francis had been released from his contract obligations that honestly in 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 truer words he lost the bidding war he can Dana White can go and he can say that Francis wants to go and fight lesser competition elsewhere and make more money. But the fact of the matter is Francis Ngannou did everything he set out to when he joined the UFC back almost 10 years ago. He knocked out Blades twice, Overeem, Jarzinho, He beat Gann, out-wrestled Gann. He beat Stipe, who people were boasting Stipe as the heavyweight goat. Francis did everything. There's nobody, nobody in the UFC is afraid of anyone. Like Eddie Alvarez said on MMA Junkie the other day, nobody in the UFC is afraid of anyone. They're not afraid of the competition. They just want to make the most money. They don't care about who the guy that's standing across the cage from them is. Uh, We also had John Jones say that he was going to fight Gone earlier in the day before Dana announced it. So I was kind of, we were all kind of like waiting to see what Dana would say in the post fight. But yeah, I will say uh, my first reaction to Dana's take on it was... I don't know. I didn't really like how he how he described. He kind of made it seem like Francis was was afraid to fight John Jones. And come on, one look at Francis Ngannou, you know, that man is not afraid to fight John Jones or anybody else. So I am excited to see what's next for Francis. But yeah, that was my immediate reaction.
1: So you say uh, you talk about what is next for Francis and there's a whole realm of possibilities that could happen with Francis next. He could go over to the boxing world. We have had these teases of him versus Tyson Fury. We do have the PFL. There's all these signs about the PFL. There was that family friend, uh, family member who had the PFL shirt. We had the PFL teasing with the uh, Hulk Hogan gift. Uh, you had Bellator and Scott Coker publishing, well, uh, oh, republishing on Twitter an article from last year. Coker said he would be very well. Uh, welcome to have uh, Francis Ngannou in Bellator. There are all these different circumstances, especially when it comes to the PFL, in addition with uh, Jake Paul and the new Superbike division. Where do you see Francis going next? So I think next,
3: I was just talking to Shane Burgess about it yesterday. I think next he's going to go in box because I don't think the money was the issue with the UFC was offering him. I believe Dana White, when Dana White says, he offered to make Francis Ngannou the, most, the highest paid UFC heavyweight of all time, more than Brock Lesnar, more than anybody else, and I believe that. I think Francis Ngannou was in line to get a really big raise from the UFC, but I think the one thing, it wasn't the money, it wasn't this, it wasn't that, the real one thing was that Francis wants to box Tyson Fury. That's what I think it is, and I think that when he talks about freedom, and today's Martin Luther King Day, and he posted a, a clip talking about he, he finally he's free, and, and alluding to you know being released from the UFC, I think it all came down to he wanted to be non-exclusive as Michael Venom pages with Tour. A lot of these Tour guys are a lot of these BKFC or even PFL guys are they're allowed to go elsewhere and make money elsewhere. Uh, Chris Cyborg's been boxing a lot recently and others. So I think for instance, God, going to box Tyson Fury next? And then I would not be surprised if his next move following that boxing match would be Not to join the PFL heavyweight division. I don't think he's going to join the PFL uh, season. I don't think he's going to do the whole season for the million dollar tournament. I do, however, think that for fight division, the one that Jake Paul was talking about, uh, the one that Jake Paul is now in. I'm not saying Francis will fight uh, fight or box Jake Paul or anything like that. But I think they'll bring in some new guys for Francis to fight. uh, And it'll just be one offs, maybe like a one fight, maybe a two fight deal for the PFL I don't think Francis wants to be locked into any multi-fight, multi-year deal right now. That's what it seems like to me. So what I would think is next, Tyson Fury, this year, 2023, and then maybe towards the end of the year or early 2024, he steps in that PFL cage.
2: So I want to follow up with another question. You had alluded to the fact that you think that next for him is going to be to go box. Do you think that regardless of whether or not he wins or loses against Fury, Do you think that no matter what, regardless of the outcome, that he will go to the PF in 2024? Or if he loses, do you think he would go in a different direction?
3: Well, instead of saying if he loses, because I feel like it's more likely that he loses than he wins. I'll say that if he wins, if he beats Tyson Fury, who is known to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time. If he defeats Tyson Fury... I think there's no shot, there's no chance that Tyson Fury doesn't want an immediate rematch. If Tyson Fury loses for the first time ever and he loses to a mixed martial arts fighter, stepping into his realm, stepping into the boxing ring, I think that would grant an immediate rematch for Fury. I think uh, Ngannou would sign on that rematch. If he were to lose, there would be no need for a rematch. I think he, regardless of uh, how he loses, I I think he... Francis's love is MMA. He wants to test this boxing thing, but Francis is a mixed martial artist at the end of the day. He's going to come back to MMA if no, no if ins or buts in one way or another. Uh, yeah, so I think he comes. Maybe Bellator, who knows? I okay. mean, I mean, testing, like, that's him show, like show, into Bellator, really. You know, the PFL shirt. There was a PFL shirt. There wasn't the Bellator shirt. Ray Sefo, the commissioner or the president, whatever his job title is for the PFL. He's an extreme couture every single day right alongside Francis. Who knows if Ray Seppo's been doing some convincing? I don't know. I'm going to try to find out when I go this weekend, but I don't know for sure. But, yeah, I I do see Francis, no matter what, stepping into maybe not definitely the PFL cage, but definitely back in the MMA at some point in the future.
2: Well, I can say this for certain. No matter what next move Francis uh, does, people are going to care and people are going to be glued to the TV to see what he does
3: next. That's for, that's for sure. No doubt about it. He is a big draw. Boxing, freaking bull riding, baseball, whatever Francis Ngannou is doing, he's such a physically imposing person that everybody's going to watch whatever Francis Ngannou's next uh, venture is. So.
2: Shoot, Francis Ngannou to the WWE sounds interesting too.
3: I would not be opposed. I Myself, I uh, grew up as a WWE fan before I got, uh, fell in love with martial arts. I would love to see that. I would love to see Francis versus Brock in the WWE or Kane Velasquez or something. Like that. that would be awesome. That
2: would be
1: crazy. Tyson Fury has had his little uh, appearances with the WWE over the last couple That's of too. years. Uh, you mentioned boxing though. So uh, I mentioned this to Curtis, but uh, Dylan, Zan and I have a little expression that we constantly bring up on this show. And that is boxing gets in its own way. The frustration um, to not being able to ground undisputed champions, whether it be Crawford and Spence or whether it be Fury and Usyk. Because we mentioned this fight with Nganu versus Fury. And how should people feel about it? Because I, I guarantee you, you're going to have some boxing purists if, this fight, if that fight comes to fruition say, oh great, another obstacle to get into the way of Fury versus Usyk. Another obstacle of getting into the way to an undisputed heavyweight champion. But considering the circumstances of that kind of matchup in Ganu and Fury and the money that it could bring, is this, you know, a necessary obstacle? So I'm
3: far from a boxing purist, I would say. I'm not the biggest boxing fan for the reasons that you just stated. I hate the fact that there are so many tune ups in between the real fights that you want to watch. Like it feels like every other fight boxing match I watch, it's like one guy's minus 2,000. It's just like you're waiting for him. You're guessing which rounds he's going to knock him out. It's not really a matter of if this guy, the other guy has a chance of winning. So as a boxing purist, I completely understand that uh, side of it, that vantage point that it's kind of like an unnecessary obstacle between the Usyk and the Fury match. But I'm a mixed martial arts fan. And as a mixed martial arts fan, I would love to see this fight. I think that, I think it's a bigger fight. I think that Overall, more people would like to see Francis versus Fury. And I still think Fury versus Usyk could come next. So I don't think it's an obstacle in the timeline, but not like in the longevity in the grand scheme of things. I think Usyk versus Fury is bound to happen regardless. Um, But this is the thing. This is the thing. I'm going to mention Jake Paul real quick. I used to not like Jake Paul back maybe two, three years ago and before that, before I got into this MMA thing. And even when I got into MMA, I used to never post about him. I used to never give him the light of day because I just felt like he was a distraction. I've completely done a 180 on my opinion of Jake Paul. I think at this point, if you're anti Jake Paul, you're anti MMA. He's done amazing things for the sport. He's bringing so many eyes to the sport. He's changing. He's changed boxing. Now he's trying to change MMA. At first, when he was advocating for fighter pay, I thought he was just trying to get under Dana's skin, and it's still probably a little bit of that. But I really do think he cares now. And even if he doesn't, even if it's all like publicity, bring publicity to the to the discussion of fighter pay and what he's doing now with the PFL the super fight division. The more the PFL grows, the more the sport grows, the happier I am. I want to see the sport grow as an MMA fan. I want the sport to be as big as it can be. I think Jake Paul is doing everything right and he's creating these, this is what I'm, to tie it all together real quick, I don't think we'd be talking about Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury, if it wasn't for Jake Paul. (laughs) I think that we'd be talking about a lot of these different things if it weren't for Jake Paul with these NBA players, Darren Williams and Nate Robinson, now Uriah Hall going to boxing. He's making it so that I don't know. It's just more open. It's like boxing purists might hate it, and I could see their point. But it's making things fun, and sometimes it's good to just have fun. Shale Sonnen said it to me uh, at Jake Paul Anderson Silva uh, in September at the press conference. He was like, "This isn't like this isn't a championship match. This isn't like an ex- like a hardcore fans match. This is just fun. Every now and again, every couple months, we get to just have some fun with it." And that's what we're having. We're having fun. I think Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury would be fun. And I think seeing Jake Paul in PFL is going to be fun as well.
1: And I think with Jake Paul being in the super fight division and saying that all he said about wanting to create fighter pay, a better fighter pay structure, and the PFL and their push for pay-per-views. I remember Zan and I, when we were first talking about pay-per-views, putting that uh, pay-per-view on for the championship card and like, you know, We appreciated their heart, but it's like, who's going to want to pay for it? So this is like Francis's free agency, I feel, is the ultimate put up or shut up with the PFL, because if you can sign Francis Ngannou, you can top Bellator for the number two promotion in the world. You can have legitimate stars who you know, will be booked for these pay-per-views, this pay-per-view expansion that you want, rather than just booking Kayla Harrison versus Larissa Pacheco four and five. 100%. 100%
3: a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that the PFL would be off their rocker to not throw a bag at, Francis and they should hand him an empty check. He would be the biggest fighter, the biggest signing in PFL history. And that's coming right after Jake Paul. So that's saying a lot. If they get Jake Paul, for instance, in the same month, following the Shane Bergo signing, Marlon Marias Aspen Ladd, and not, let's not forget Tiago Santos, who's always fun to watch, despite being on a little bit of a skid in recent years. Uh, I'm excited for the PFL. I think it's going to be a big, big year. I've only covered one PFL event, the championships uh, last November. And it was a great time, great fights, a lot of finishes. And you always love to see people winning a million dollars, the crowd and stuff like that. So I think PFL is a bright future. I'm a big Bellator guy, but I would not be surprised if at this time next year, January 2024, PFL is like the concrete, without a doubt, number two MMA uh, organization in the world.
2: Yeah, I think 2023 is setting up to be the biggest year in PFL history if they do it the right way, of uh, for sure. And it, it's just something that I think makes the sport more fun because now if you, if Francis goes to the PFL, it's very similar to when, although this was brief, it was very similar to when, uh, Fedor went to Affliction and the UFC decided, oh, let's do these uh counter program UFC fight night cards. If We can see if we can beat Fader, and quite frankly, they sort of failed miserably at it. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if they can get Francis, if the UFC will pull an old trick from over a decade to go and see if they can try to mess with them. And if the PFL has enough leverage, which you were kind of alluding to, you know, with the Jake Paul signing and everything that he's doing for advocating for fighter pain, what have you, uh, the UFC could be in a It'll be the trouble in terms of a competition standpoint, a competition standpoint that you haven't really seen since they uh, bought force over a decade ago.
3: Shane Burrow said that he was not going to be the only one when he did it, when he left UFC to join PFL. He, was, he set the trend and he made it. I'm not saying like it wouldn't have happened without him, but he like expedited the process and he made it clear that you can be a ranked UFC fighter and leave for the greater good of your family to put food on the table. I mean, um, most of these guys aren't poor. Like, putting food on the table isn't there, you know. But, you know, you know what I mean. J- Shane goes <laughs> in the later stages of career, just like Santos, just like Marlon Moraes, and they're getting paid more than ever now. And if it's lesser competition, which in most likely, more more often than not in the PFL, it will be lesser competition than the UFC. I mean, shit, man. More money and, and less damage. And, you know, you, you keep your brain and your health going into, you know, your 40s. 100%.
1: I'll follow that up with two points. Number one, yeah, UFC might be pissed off on the competition side if he goes to PFL. But you know who's going to be really happy? ESPN. Imagine if PFL pulls all these moves right. They get to keep Francis and Gunna on their platform, and they have the number one and number two promotions in the world. ESPN would be a very, very happy uh, cable and, well, streaming network because mm-hmm. they'll get to have the strong arm of the competition. Um as far as what you were talking about with ranked fighters leaving, it reminds me actually of 2016 when you saw Gegard Mousasi and you saw Rory McDonald jump ship from the UFC to Bellator. Now, granted, this is a little different circumstances, and Bellator may have the better competition compared to the PFL. If Francis leaving and competing in a Bellator might be the closest you can get to one of these forbidden door cross-promotion things that Dana never wants to do with Orion Ryan Bader versus uh, Francis Nganu kind of fight. But there is also the possibility that, well, we don't know what Bellator's future is, if, if, considering the reports that Helwani mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that they might be for sale. Even if they have a really strong debut on CBS in a couple of weeks, by this time next year, Viacom might sell them off to, well, god knows who and whatever the future is for bellator was already on their what third home network in like three or four years yeah
3: i don't know where pfl is getting their money They just have endless cash flow but if they have the money buying bellator would not be a bad idea you combine the two promotions not just a cross promotion mm-hmm. event you combine the two promotions and you make it without then you then the ufc is a little bit you know like a UFC, of course, is always going to be bigger or at least, you know, for the time being is way bigger than both Bellator and PFL, even if they were to combine. But that puts UFC on notice. If PFL and Bellator combined and there was one roster, you bet your ass that a lot of UFC fighters are going to start jumping ship, making more money, joining a just such an exciting promotion. How exciting would that be if it was all these Bellator fighters fighting all these PFL fighters, everyone coming together? All those divisions would be stacked it, the featherweight division in PFL, mixed with the featherweight division beltor, like that would be one of the most exciting divisions in the sport, UFC included. So, mm-hmm. I would love to see that. It's not incredibly likely, but that would be awesome. I would be all for it.
2: Yeah, if that ever happened and it was a reality, it would change the entire sport. <laughs> and it would make it a lot more interesting because you would have super, you would have super mega fights. In this in this PFL Bellator combined promotion, on top of pretty pretty big fights in the UFC as well, to the point where you'd have an endless appetite of just massive championship fights, literally almost every single weekend from um, from what we're calling these two these two mega giant MMA uh, conglomerates, which is a crazy thought. Obviously, I don't think that that's going to happen, but. If that is the direction that both of those promotions choose to go, again, it changes the entire sport for that's,
3: sure. That's Definitely. the best part is that there's no offseason. So if these two were to combine, it would be just like, yeah, amazing fights every single week,
1: all year. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the other side of this, by the way, the jones Gone fight. So Jones is going to be returning for the first time in three years, to take on Cyril Gone. Now, it may not be the fight that everyone wanted. Obviously, Jones and Nganu had been in the works for two plus years, stretching back to the pandemic when they had the little negotiations as Stepe and DC were in the air for their uh, trilogy fight. And then all those fight negotiations fell through. You saw Jones along with Masvidal and Connor, all asking for their release in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, But Jones, ultimately, they, they acquiesced. They allowed him to move up the heavyweight. He was doing it right. And now if you look at the photos between past Jones and this Jones, it looks like two completely different people. Um, what is your take on this Jones gunfight? Does Jones, does Jones have a better shot here than he did against Francis?
3: I say no. And I've been going back and forth and back and forth in this fight. When I first saw the odds, I was like, wow, John Jones the underdog. That's pretty crazy. Uh, I had no idea this fight was even in the works until like three days ago. So, like, I have not been thinking about this matchup at all. I think that Cyril Ghan can pose a tougher threat to John Jones. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough because Ghan and, and, and Ghanu were a very similar match. I mean, Ghanu, of course, won that decisively, out-wrestled Ghan, which was, of course, surprising to all. But in recent, in like the last 24 hours, I've just been thinking like Zero Gone is going to knock out John Jones. And I don't have like a great, I don't have like a great like explanation of why, how, who, what, when.
2: Wow.
3: I feel like Zero Gone's going to knock him out. And I I feel like John Jones, I feel like John Jones, the power, 60 pounds is a lot of weight. Moving up from featherweight to lightweight, 10 pounds. It's not the same as moving up light heavyweight to heavyweight. 60 pounds, 205 to 265. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to take the power. We'll see.
1: That is, that is quite the take. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, on the John Jones side of things, I mean, do you think there's also any sort of ring rust to him? I mean, we saw GSP. Uh, take four years off and then choke out Michael Bisping for the middleweight championship. Do you think John Jones can have a similar story? Do you think he'll have more ring rust on him, especially when you consider the fact that, as we just mentioned, he's moving up in from light heavyweight to heavyweight rather than just a normal 10 to 15 pound category?
3: There will be ring rust without a doubt. And the question is like how much ring rust? It's it just depends on how he trains, how much he spars, how much he works with the right people. He was just out oh. here, he was just out here the last week at Fight Ready training with Henry Cejudo, Calvin Gaslam, uh LFA champion, Captain America's all those guys. And I know he still works for Brandon Gibson, uh six on Gibson out in Jackson Wink. So those mm-hmm. are teams right there. He's doing everything right. We don't know for sure, though. We just don't know. Like, it's not like we're with John Jones every day. It's not like he's posting training footage every single day. Of course, we see some pictures circulating every now and again, and we're like, "Holy shit, John Jones is swole! He looks big. He looks good." That or third. Sometimes we see training videos, and we think he looks slow. I mean, that's just all to the amateur eye, to the fans' eye, to the reporter's eye. But I think, yes, activity definitely plays a role. Cyril Gunn has been out there with the best of the best the last couple of years. Uh, you know, he's only lost to Francis Ngannou. And just, like, going back to that fight with Tai Tuivasa, I mean, of course, Tai Tuivasa is no is no John Jones. He's not the youngest champion ever. He's not in the greatest of all time debate. But just seeing how gone, weathered the storm, took everything Tai Tuivasa had to offer, took the power, took it on the chin, got sat down, got up, and then put Tai Tuivasa away, I could see the same thing happening with John Jones. I think that... Sure. I think that I think that John Jones is more likely to win a decision against Cyril Gon and pick him apart from the outside, which is Cyril Gon's game. So I don't know. This is such a tough fight to break down. I need to give it more thought. But I think if someone's going to knock someone out, it's going to be Cyril Gon knocking out John Jones.
2: Um, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball question at you. And as much as it seems like you're very excited for this fight, I'm very excited for the this fight, Tom is very excited for this fight. I think the world is going to start to buzz as it gets closer. Dylan, the million-dollar question: Does John Jones make it to March fourth? Because you and I both know Las Vegas is not a very kind place to our friend over here, as John Jones, after three years away from the octagon, does he make it to March fourth?
3: I guarantee he makes it. I, I know it's funny to speculate, and it's That's not even a joke. Like I know it's a real question because, like, it is. With all this stuff John has done, especially, like, what, Dana brought him to Vegas like, 24 hours he couldn't keep himself out of jail? I mean, shit, it's hard to say this constantly. But I really believe John Jones, I'm not going to say he a new leaf. It's hard to be his fan. He does all these things that are not great, you know, even outside the sport, of course. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think John Jones makes it. I, I-, I would be shocked. Be shocked. <laughs> and let me tell he just on five If he does not make it to this March 4th event, Barring like a crazy injury that isn't his fault, but you know, if he gets into trouble again before March 4th, the hell with him. I don't want to see him fight anymore. I don't care about this eight fight contract. Like, I'm not going to get let down again and keep, keep like being on the edge of my seat to see John Jones fight. If he messes up this one with Gone because of how excited I am for it, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't care about John Jones anymore.
1: I, I think that's a real possibility that if he screws up by way of legal issue. Maybe we don't ever see John Jones compete ever again. If it's something like the uh what do you call it? The small drug testing uh all those things um oh, the metabolites. If it's yeah, something like that,
2: or or a picogram.
1: Picogram, that's it. If it's something like that, I guarantee you Dana would do it again and he would pick up the card and even on just a couple of days' notice and put it in California or put it in Texas or Arizona or
2: mm-hmm. somewhere
1: along those lines. Um as far as, I, I mean, I don't see the eight fight deal coming to fruition. You know, even if he stays out of trouble, I don't know if he'll
2: fight all eight fights. I How think that, is- he's like 35, 36
3: right now. Yeah, eight fights is, that's a lot of fights. For- that is yeah.
2: a
1: lot of fights. I, I think it's just a matter of keeping him, trying to keep him with the UFC, especially mm-hmm. when you consider, and I mentioned this with Dan earlier, we have this Saturday's card. Three weeks later, we have Islam Volkanovski. Three weeks later is the Jones fight. Two weeks after that is Leon Usman three, And with the price, raised in price to like 84 98 this is four times you're going to be charging fight fans, eighty four ninety eight within a two-month span. You need something to get them to part with their money. And dare I say, even if it's Jones gone and it's not, you know, in Ghana with all these circumstances, The return of John Jones is, it's a selling point. It is probably the selling point of this pay-per-view.
3: A hundred percent. For us, for fans, for like, for everyone, for the people that even, for even people that were UFC fans five years ago, 10 years ago, that fell in love with the sport through John Jones and have since fallen out of love with the sport and have not been buying pay-per-views recently. There are, a lot of fan, there are a lot of John Jones fans out there. Like, John Jones really grew the sport. He's on my Mount Rushmore without a doubt. He's changed the sport forever. He brought so many new fans to the sport. And I think he's going to do it again, like you just said. I think he's going to put butts in seats in the, in the stadiums. And he's going to put butts and seats on the couches, too, for the pay-per-views, too. So I think it was definitely to lock up John Jones, whether he, or not he fulfills the eight fights, I think it was a good move for sure. I agree.
2: I'm I'm making a prediction uh, right now that uh, well, well this is coming out uh, this is later this week but I'm I'm making a prediction right now that I think John Jones only fights two out of his eight fights that's what I, that's what I think I think, I, it. I think he's gonna fight this fight and this is this is assuming that he wins I think he's gonna fight this fight he's gonna fight A. whatever happened in the A fight he's gonna retire afterward I mean that's, that's a real
1: That's a real possibility, Zan. I mean, we had been talking on Saturday night that, uh, I mean, we don't know how much leash Stipe has because of the circumstances of him losing pretty one-sided fashion to Francis uh, a couple of years ago and the fact that he had been inactive. But now that Francis is gone, all of a sudden Stipe's leash, all of a sudden his say is a lot – it's back. Like, all that waiting, it has paid off that Stipe could very much, as we alluded to with Curtis earlier – get the winner of Jones versus gone international fight week in July. And if it is Jones versus Stipe, that kind of dream fight, that might be the way that Jones goes out. But let me flip it a little bit to a different kind of question, a little more negative kind of question. Bigger nightmare for the UFC, excluding Jones having any more legal issues. Bigger nightmare for the UFC and gone walks and gone defeats Jones. As you predicted earlier, Dylan, or, in Gone Walks, as he did, Jones beats Gone, Jones retires after beating Gone.
3: The second one. Because retiring with the belt is always, like, the worst thing for an organization. You remember, I don't know if you guys are WWE fans, but when CM Punk defeated John Cena for a WWE championship, yes. he walked out of the crowd with the belt. I mean, of course, that was scripted. I, I, I believe so. I believe that was scripted. But, <laughs> yeah, if Jones came back, after this division has been stalled for so long, whether it be Nganu's fault or his knee's fault or the UFC's fault, whatever it may be, after how long this division's been stalled, for them to have a new champion and then retire with the belt and then another vacant championship fight, I'll say this real quick. If that happens, I don't give I don't care the rest of the heavyweights break a leg. I Gone doesn't deserve to be in three vacant title fights or three interim title fights. No,
2: absolutely not. No
3: no way. Like, he has to defeat no in the third time. And just to go back real quick, I'll let you speak on the Zane, but to go back real quick, I think Stipe Guaranteed gets the, the winner of this fight. I don't see it going any other way. Even if Blades were to, were to fight Pavlovich and defeat him, I think Blades would be more deserving of the title shot though I do not think he would receive it. I think Blades is like kind of like the Benil Darius of the heavyweight division where he kind of just gets forgotten every time the title opportunity comes around. So I think Stipe, he hasn't fought John Jones. He hasn't fought Cyril gone, He's known to be one of the best of all time. Hasn't fought in a long time. I think he definitely gets the winner of this. And International Five Weeks, that sounds about right. I think that's when it would be. You're right.
2: For sure. And I, I also wanted to follow up with this question for you, Dylan. What do you think of the people who say that um, – you know, Pavlovich, Aspinall, or Blades were more deserving before before Jones um before Jones got the shot. Do you do you, um do you um do you agree with with um people having that opposite opinion or do you think it's it's too far fetched that none of those guys are ready and that none of those guys would sell the same way that Jones would because my thought on that is is if John Jones is coming back with with his legacy and everything that he's done over the last ten years. There's there, there's no way he's not walking right into an immediate title shot, which is it is currently happening. So I just wanted to I just wanted to get your thoughts on like do you think if you're you know Pavlovich, Blades or Aspinall, you're 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 I'm about this or are you actually excited about this because it seems like Blades is you know kind of kind of taking that. his. I don't know about the other two. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the latter opinion, the, the opinion that people don't believe that Jones is deserving of this immediate heavyweight title shot.
3: So this might be an unpopular opinion, but I believe that when it comes to who's deserving of a shot or of a fight, when it comes to John Jones and Conor McGregor and guys of that stature, deserving goes out the window. Just Is a top five lightweight fight when he comes back? No. But is he going to fight Jalen Turner? Is he going to fight? Uh, no. Jalen uh, Turner, Armin Saruki, and Rafa Vola, Terrence McKinney, or any of these guys? No, John- of course not. Of course John- not. They the belt, and he's moving up. He's doing- It's a big step. I mean, again, forget all that. Forget it. I'm not even going to make the argument of John Jones being deserving because the fact of the matter it doesn't matter. The UFC does not care about that. John Jones is the bigger fight to make. He's the youngest champion ever. He's only <laughs> All time, he's coming back to the greatest division there is. Everyone loves heavyweight. Everyone loves to see big guys knocking each other out. So uh, there was never, ever, an, there was never, ever a one percent inkling of a chance that Pavlovich or Aspinall or Blades mm-hmm. get the opportunities that Jon Jones gets. I will say this though. I will say this because I'm just giving a thought sitting here now. Stepe, if Blades defeats Pavlovich, he's so mm-hmm. much more deserving of the title shot than Stepe. So I don't know how this would fit time frame wise, but maybe you don't even do Blades Pavlovich. Maybe you do Blades Stepe, and Jones gone and then the winners fight for the title. Maybe maybe Stepe or Blades because Stepe and Blades are kind of in similar positions right now. I mean, Stepe's probably the bigger name, but Blades is the one that's more deserving. So they're kind of 50-50. If they fight and winner gets gone or winner gets Jones, and then maybe go and go with Pavlovich, Aspinall. Aspinall's recovering from that injury now. He'll probably be good to go in a few months. So, I, I, I that's what I would like to see honestly. Now that I'm I
1: I wouldn't mind that, but Stepe and kind of reason I referred to the leash before. Over the last couple of years, he has been heavyweight title shot or bust. He doesn't seem to be interested in anybody like a Blades, which also, by the way, we're talking about the status of the heavyweight division. We were talking with Curtis about this earlier. It's not good when you're up and comers, you're just outside of the top fives, into the top tens and such. You're Blades, Pavlovich, in hospital, 29, 30, 31 years old. Not exactly spring chickens. Nope.
3: It's the same thing with lightweight. Like, it's not the exact same, but it's kind of similar with this gatekeeping that's going on in these UFC divisions that, honestly, of course, Bellator is smaller and PFL is smaller, but it doesn't really go on in PFL and Bellator. Whereas in the lightweight division of the UFC, you got the top dogs, you got the Poyes, you got the gaichis, you got guys like that at the top who don't want to fight these up-and-comers, who don't want to fight the Shurukians and the guys I'm mentioning, Jalen Turner and Frivola, Terrence McKinney. Personally, and finally, finally, that's starting to change because we got Gaethje versus Fazeev, which I'm very happy about. Instead mm-hmm. of Gaethje-Poye 2 or this or that, I want to mix it in. Listen, I know they're not going to do a Grand Prix, even though that would be awesome. A lightweight that Grand
2: were, Prix. That, that would, be, that would be That would be absurd. It would be the coolest, I've, said it, I've, I've said it forever. <laughs> it,
3: it would be like the coolest tournament the sport's ever seen, honestly, in my opinion. But, like, I'm just going to say real quick, I've said it once, I'll say it again. And and it's starting to happen with Gaethje versus which is cool, but I personally would so much rather see the guys in like the 8 to 15 range fight the guys in the top five rather than the top five going over and over again and the same people. I'd rather see Poe versus Jalen Turner and Gaethje versus Frivola and these people and just mixing it in and, and not gatekeeping these guys at the top who are like just waiting around for months and months at a time. I like the Darius versus Gamrat type fights. Like I like that. Even if the Darius and the top fives are going to win those fights, it's just good to see, just a different. So uh, mixing it in, just mixing it up a little bit. I don't know.
2: Well, I would co- I would. I would counter you to that and say, I. I. I agree with you. We're like hardcore consumers of the sport, but if you're a casual fan and they see, oh, Dustin Portier is fighting Haylen Turner, are people, are people, are people really going to care about that? Because that's the. That's the other. That's, that's the other side of the argument too. I don't I don't I don't know
3: trust me I completely get it I'm not saying what I'm saying is realistic because they're never gonna do that tournament and they're probably no. not guys like that and 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 the other side of it is too is Poye is not taking that fight anyway to begin with <laughs> before we can even talk about like if it's gonna be a draw Poye is not even gonna take the fight so yeah I, it's not realistic I was just saying like from a fan's perspective like I would like to see like some some variety in these divisions.
1: Uh, one oh, last oh, thing from
3: Vasta. You know, Vasta. I mean they were t- two, both top ranked but it was just like I didn't think I would be seeing that fight you know a year ago and, and then it happened was, it was a great fight so
2: true very true good point point.
1: one last thing from me uh, Dylan I asked uh, Curtis this is my final question before before uh, who has more pressure overall now that we're in the situation that we're in the UFC or Francis Ngannou hmm There's definitely pressure on both
3: sides, and of course, it's a different type of pressure. I think that, I think there's, hmm, I don't know, because this is the thing. I don't think Francis has that much pressure, being that I don't see him having any trouble securing these fights that he wants to secure. The PFL is going to be interested. Bellator is going to be interested. The Tyson Fury fight, I think it's going to. Even if it doesn't, Francis is still going to be well off. He's still going to have these opportunities. The UFC, on the other hand, they have pressure in a sense because people might follow Francis. And if Francis goes and defeats Fury or Francis goes and does big things in the PFL and people start following him and seeing, wow, if a UFC champion could relinquish the belt and say, I don't need this, I don't need to be in the UFC, I could do all these things, this, that, and the third without the UFC, that'll plant some ideas in some people's heads. So that's where the pressure lies. The pressure does not lie, however, in like, what I'm trying to say is, like, the UFC is fine without Francis Ngannou. As much as we love Francis Ngannou, as great of a heavyweight champion, I believe he was, the UFC isn't, like, losing sleep over losing him, honestly. Because, like, you know, they have gone. They have John Jones. They have 700 fighters on the roster and so many fighters to, you know, push and, you know, keep developing. So it's not like they're going to lose sleep over not having Francis in the heavyweight roster. It's not great for them, but it's not, like, the worst thing that could have ever happen, you know. So I don't know. They both have pressure in different ways. I would say I would say UFC has a bit more pressure because like I really strongly believe Francis is gonna be fine. I think this actually will benefit Francis in the long run. He's did a lot in the UFC. He did so many things. I'm not gonna say like he did everything there was to accomplish, like you know, beating Jones would have been big, but like he beat Steve Bay, he beat Gone, like I said, blades twice over him, a bunch of guys. Now he's gonna go and if he defeats Tyson Fury, let's say this. I don't know if you guys gotta go. I have a good question that I just thought of. Okay. What would be what would be bigger for Francis Nganu's overall legacy? Defeating John Jones in March or defeating Tyson Ferry in the boxing ring?
2: I'll go first. Um I think this one's pretty obvious. If he can beat uh the the quintessential best heavyweight in the world even even in a even in a completely different sport uh i.e. Tyson Fury would be the biggest moment of his entire career and he, he would be launched into stratospheres That is, he wouldn't just be a legendary MMA fighter he wouldn't just be um he wouldn't just be a one-off boxer who beat the greatest would be one of the greatest heavyweights of all time he would be an all-time combat athlete so legacy wise be- beating Tyson Fury is a lot bigger on a global scale than beating John Jones in the UFC octagon
1: agreed also considering the fact that we saw Jake Paul go into the, you know, go into the combat world and the ways that he has defeated the likes of Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren. Granted, they were wrestlers, uh, but then the win over Anderson Silva, granted an old, an older fighter who wasn't fighting in the UFC anymore. But then you think about the, the pride and everything of like, you know, you know how MMA fans kind of want to see Jake Paul, this invader you know, get beat. Imagine if Francis Nganu, the baddest man on the planet in the MMA sphere, takes on the baddest man on the planet, goes over to the boxing world to face their baddest man on the planet, and Francis wins. That is going to be huge because the MMA fans, already some some treat him like a god, will treat him further like a god. He'll he'll get that same credibility over the boxing world. And considering Fury and his star power... It's going to lead into the mainstream. That would be huge, as Dan, you kind of put it. He would be more than just one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. He would drop the MMA. He would be one of the greatest fighters of all time, period. And that's
3: why I don't think Francis has too, too much pressure because I personally feel that this fight is going to be made. I think Furian and Godin is going to be made. I think that, again, like I said earlier, I think the primary reason for Francis and the UFC parting ways was this Fury fight? Was that Engano wants to box? It wasn't that Engano wants to go to the PFL. It wasn't that he wants to go to Bellator. It's that he wants to box Tyson Fury and he wants to have the freedom to do so. So I think this fight's going to be made. And if, like we said, if Engano wins, that was the best move he ever made leaving the UFC. So
2: I guess my final question for you, Dylan, and thank you again for taking the time out to talk to Tom and I today. Uh, my final question for you is if. Uh, if an interim title fight gets made, say, let's say let say it ends up being uh Blades versus Stepe, um, could you could you see that being just a 5 run main event, or do you think the UFC would have to attach some sort of gold to it, considering that they would be the two top contenders um at the time if they ever do fight? And do you think that that is the the next logical fight for Stepe if for whatever reason he can't get the Jones? right away. This is all assuming Orange wins, of course, but do you think Stepe versus Blades is more likely than people think?
3: I think that, going back to what Tom said, it doesn't seem too likely that Stepe wants this fight. Understandably, if you're a fu- full-time fireman in Ohio that hasn't fought in two years, and you have, the op- you have the two choices, you're left with two choices, fight for the title in July, and just hang out and be a fireman and <sighs> time for the next couple months, or getting in the training camp right now for Curtis Blades, one of the most dangerous men in the sport, who wrestles like a MF, and you're gonna have to drill wrestling like crazy. I mean, it makes sense for Stipe to not want this fight. But uh, to go back to the uh, earlier question, I don't think they have to attach gold to it. I think that you don't. I don't think you have to. I think they do it too much with these interim fights. I don't know. I don't. I. I, I like the Yair Emmett one, and I was pushing for that one because I knew Volk was moving up, and because Volk's moving up. Uh, and may win that belt. I don't know if he will, but he may win that belt. It made sense to make the the Yara emmett fight for interim,
1: but because then it's interim or a number it, because then either it's a full champion afterwards or it's a number one contender.
3: Exactly, exactly. But for this one, it's like we know that these two are the top contenders. I don't think there needs to be an interim bout. I don't think that I didn't like when Cyril Ghan became became the interim champ. I mean,
2: are- agreed. A lot of people, a lot of people didn't.
1: I, I think the only reason. I think the only reason blades versus stipe that kind of fight gets an interim tag is if is if that makes stipe happy that that ultimately lets him agree to the fight that that's that happy medium is it gonna work i don't think so
3: listen i'm not a serial gone hater by any means i like the guy and like i said i'm picking him right as at this current juncture i'm picking him to defeat jones but yeah like i when i think of him i don't really think of a heavyweight champion like when i think of like if he were to defeat john jones right now like that would solidify for, for me that he was a heavyweight champion. But right when I think of Cyril gone, like, I don't know. Do we count him as a heavyweight champion because he won the interim belt? Like, I guess we're supposed to. But, like, I don't really think of him the way I thought of Francis or Steve or one of these undisputed
1: guys, so. I sure. agree. All right. Dylan, thank you so much for joining us. Again, that was Dylan Rush, Cage Side Press. You can follow him on Twitter at RushMMA11. Dylan, thanks so much for joining us here on the MMA Outsiders.
2: Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, thank you again, man. Looking
3: forward to the next
1: one, guys. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Zan. Before we get into any of UFC 283, uh, a couple of other things we got to mention. Leon Edwards versus Usman 3 is now finalized. It is official in London. UFC 286 on March 18th. Welterweight Championship on the line rematch obviously the trilogy fight second time that the title is going to be on the line Usman looked like he was on his way to a win in August and then the knockout heard around the world to give Leon Edwards the championship win and a pretty interesting co-man event too in the lightweight division as Justin Gaethje Mr. Performance Bonus himself is going to be taking on one of the hot up and comers in that lightweight division in Rafael Fizzias
2: yeah, th- those are both amazing fights to cap off that card, especially Edwards Uzman Uh As we alluded to Saturday night, Dana wasn't kidding when he said he would bring in his words, a badass card to London, England. If, if those two fights aren't badass, then I, then I can't tell you what other two fights would fit that description because these are four just absolute studs in two of the hottest divisions in the sport. A lot riding on the Edwards um, and three fight. Kamaru Uzman to get his belt back. He was considered by Dana White to be the greatest welterweight of all time, even greater than George St. Pierre. So there's a lot riding on the line for him. And for Leon Edwards, it's proved that uh, the, the second fight wasn't a fluke and, the, and it wasn't a lucky knockout um, in the final stages of that one. And for Hafiel Fiziev in the co-main event, this is easily his biggest test of his career, Justin Gaethje, a former multiple time title challenger, as we know, um, for sure. This is his toughest test. And uh, that, that fight is going to be pure fireworks. And I think it's going to be a, a fight of the night caliber and a potential fight the your caliber bout. And I also do think that, um, you know, if, uh, if Uzzman can get the belt back, there are a lot of interesting fights um, at that weight division for him. We obviously don't know what's going to happen with, Hamza Jamiah, if that's what being worked on, I would be interested in seeing Jamiah versus Covington if that fight can ever come together. So I think if Uzman wins, the welterweight circus continues. Whereas if Edwards wins, I think you're see a lot us. more. Everything is for us. We're going to see a lot more. Um, a, a lot of different challengers come his way and guys that we haven't really seen him fight, Awa Gilbert Burns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think all of these fights are very interesting and I. Uh, I think those are two awesome matchups to close out uh, the London festivities on the 18th, for sure.
1: Let me throw a question out there to you, Sam, because you talk about Kamsa Chemaev, and the UFC has wanted him potentially as a challenge for, for Usman, and we've had Chemaya versus Covington in conversation, although I don't know how I'd feel about an Usman-Covington 3, as good as their first two fights were. Uh right. you mentioned how Stephen Wonderboy Thompson pulled off a shocking upset not that long ago over kevin holland i mean not an upset but a victory over kevin holland and now i had mentioned it uh around the time of that fight but if thompson wins and usman wins this fight does the ufc use thompson or even gilbert burns because an usman versus burns too might be interesting does the ufc use one of those two guys as a way to try to speed negotiations along like tells thomzat or tells covington hey if you're not willing to play along we'll give your spot against the other guy to wonderboy or to burns for the sake of trying to get the welterweight division moving
2: it's a good question but then again i counter uh, i counter your statement with another counterpoint and that is um does the ufc really want to make usman versus wonderboy after wonderboy came off of a win against a bona fide middleweight. I I, I don't. I agree,
1: I don't... but for the sake of, I agree, but also for the sake of fresh matchups, because that's again the problem with Usman winning is that the only fresh matchup that's enticing would be Usman versus Shemaev. and you gotta hope Shamiyev and Covington can fight and Shamiyev can beat him.
2: Yeah, that's also true. But then again, though, I I I then again, I'm gonna come back and say. Do you really want to see Usman fight Wonderboy considering Wonder Boy has lost two chances of winning the Walter Wade title earlier in his career?
1: Okay. Let me counter then. If something happens with Hamzat and um, if something happens with Hamzad and Covington and Usman and that doesn't come to fruition, Usman wins this fight with Edwards and regains the title. If you're Dana, do you maybe try to talk to Usman and say, you know. Hey, you know, now that your boy uh, Israel's not middleweight champ, maybe try to convince Usman. Hey, maybe you step
2: up and fight Pereira for the middleweight. See, see that. See, now we're now we're now we're like that's what I that's what I want to see. I want to see Usman challenge other other champions like that. See, see that would be my definition of what. Or 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 go down
1: or try to go down and wait somehow and fight. Or that is, that
2: win. that would that would w- it'd be very interesting. Although I could see, uh, I think it's more likely that you'll see Uzman move up. The Uzman go, go go down and wait. Uh, o- overall, though, if Uzman wins, I think it makes the welterweight division, uh, carousel, if you will. It'll it'll delay it a lot longer. But again, and as we alluded to earlier in this conversation, if Edwards wins, everything is a clean slate. Uzman is still there. For sure, but after going after going down in this series two one, I mean that he loses uh, in London. Uh, that's going to be hard to come back from.
1: For sure, uh, make a brief mention of it. Sean Strickland de- defeated Nasraddin Mavav at UFC Vegas 67. I mean, I'm sorry, Sam, but the way that main event played out and the way that whole card played out, especially when you had some a couple of wild NFL playoff games going on at the same time, it was yeah. just Weak start to 2023. Yeah, yeah. the action going on at the outside of the cage is a lot more interesting.
2: Uh, yeah, I think we can say with certainty that the January card in 2022 was light years above the January card in 2023 to kick off the year. Um, good for Strickland for winning the fight. Apparently, he got paid a lot of money. Um, it's a learning experience for uh for uh for I think will be. I think he'll be back. Uh, it's a big win for Strickland and uh, a,
1: needed
2: you know, win. A, a needed win for him. And that middleweight division is crowded as it is. So once he goes back to his natural weight, the fights are only going to get tougher. But yeah, UFC Vegas 67 was a whimper. There were, uh, there were a couple of other fights that ended in some not controversy, but just weren't. It just wasn't the best quality card. And it's a card that. You got to move move on from it. It was overshadowed yeah. by all the other news that happened outside the cage.
1: I mean, even the um, what we talked about is the people's main event on that card, Eddie versus Damon Jackson. Even that was,
2: yeah, not good. In the middle,
1: uh, like you said, I think you had said before we started going, we started recording, you'd give it a C minus. I'd probably feel the same. I'd even say maybe D. This was, yeah, the, this was not the needed way to start the year.
2: Yeah, I gave it a C minus and on my Twitter predictions and Instagram predictions, I'm having a bad start to my pitch for the year at the moment. I am I am five and six going into uh, going into um, the UFC card in Brazil this weekend. Yeah I, think I'm around a, the same. Uh, yeah, I had a good start. I had a good start. I started one and zero and and I climbed out of a two and four hole and I had a chance to finish seven and five and it just it didn't it didn't it didn't work out. So now.
1: Alright. But moving on from that, it is time. So I mentioned this is the first time since their inception in 1997 that the two oldest championships in the UFC, the heavyweight and light heavyweight championship, are vacant. That comes to an end.
2: Knock
1: on wood. This Saturday night at UFC 283 for the second time in two pay-per-views. The vacant light heavyweight championship will be on the line because main eventing this card, I really feel like it should be Figgy versus Moreno, considering the circumstances of their fight. But nevertheless, it will be for a vacant light heavyweight champion, unless uh, championship. Unless something bad happens, like happened last month with uh, Ankalaya with uh, Ankalaya, it will and Blahowich. It will be a new champion. It's either Glover Teixeira, the former champ. Already up and coming, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. uh, Obviously, Glover, much older, 12 years, the senior of Jamal Hill. Uh, Jamal Hill actually will have a two-inch height advantage and a three-inch reach advantage, according to uh, Tapology here. So, Zan, what are your thoughts entering this fight?
2: Yeah, before we get into this uh, breakdown here... Just curious, do you think that the UFC made the right decision in making this fight? Or do you think it should have been Glover versus Magomed for all the marbles?
1: I think it should have been Glover versus Ankalaev. I, I like Jamal Hill. I think he's up and coming, but you saw all the controversy as much as Dana wants to crap on that two eighty two main event, Ankalaev, it seemed automatic Ankalaev won even even Jan had said Ankalaev won the fight. I feel like if you're Ankalaev, you're up. I think if UFC really wants to go in this direction, because business wise, it is a win for them, considering Glover is the former champion. Glover did get a bit of the shaft with the late notice uh, swap in that main event of 282, and Glover is the Brazilian boy. I feel like the only right thing to do at this stage would be the winner of this fight fights Ankalaev, and then the winner of Ankhalayev versus the winner of this fight. By Tieri later this year once Tieri has recovered.
2: Good point. Um, I'm just going to be straight with you. I'm from the Midwest. There's a little bit of bias here. I really hope Jamal Hill wins this fight. Okay, don't get me wrong. I love Glover to share. His story is great. Uh, his run at light heavyweight is second to 90s He's fought a who's who in the sport. But, man, if you could get Jamal Hill to, to win coming off the contender series, being a Dana White contender series alumni to win the, to win the white heavyweight title after the career he's had so far and to potentially fight in Chicago in I mean, if that's what, if that's where the UFC decides to go to promote the heck out of him in the whole Midwest region, it would be a massive business win for the UFC. If he's able to go into Glover's home country and win, obviously their resumes are not comparable. Glover's beat the who's who, but you know, as Dana White likes to say, fighting is a young man's game. That Jamal who is is only what thirty thirty one years of age. Um, as as you alluded to, mm-hmm. I, I I think I think this could be a changing of the guard on Saturday. I I really do. I understand he's going into enemy territory, but man, I I could see him winning a close decision or shockingly finishing Glover somehow. But I just really think that the 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 um people really need to start backing Hill in this fight because you could tell that in all of his training videos, his promotional videos, he really feels how bad that, that if he can go in into, into Rio and beat Glover Teixeira, that he is going to be a superstar. And I could, I could easily see it being the case. Um, I do think Glover, um, you know, just kind of uh, mentally, you know, he had the fight, then the fight was canceled in December. You don't really know where his head is at. Um, I, I think I think this could be a disaster for whoever, but I also do think that if Jamal Hill gets caught in something, he is going to get it finished. It's a very stylistically fun fight and a fight where I feel like there's no way it's a boring main event at all and it over delivers uh, come Saturday night.
1: Yeah, I think this is, as you said, this is a fight at night contender. I think this is going to be a solid start to the UFC's pay-per-view calendar for 2023. Granted, as I said, I feel like Biggie Moreno 4, considering it's the first time UFC has had a quadrilogy, should be the lead. I think this fight should be the co-main event, but nevertheless, you know, that's not my decision. Um, well,
2: well, Tom, to counter that, they're always going to go with higher weight classes.
1: Yeah, there was one time they didn't. Uh, Adesanya versus um, Paulo Costa that headlined over that light heavyweight title that was vacant at that point.
2: Yeah, that's true. But I think that again, they, they wanted to put something at the top of that bill. That would be like a wow factor. And that that's what, that's what, it, the, that's what ended up happening. I think this is one of those rare cases where I don't think you could headline, uh, Figgy you know, as the main event, simply because I just think lover to is a bigger name in Brazil. And, that's probably that's that's probably why. I don't think Lover Teixeira resonates. I don't think Davidson Figueiredo resonates with people in Brazil. I could be wrong, but I don't think he resonates with people in Brazil as well as maybe Glover would.
1: Well, as far as the fight itself goes, with Teixeira versus Hill, I, I mean, we have seen exceptions to that rule of fighting is a young man's game. And Glover Teixeira, I think, is the most prominent example of that. Nobody gave him a shot when he challenged for the light heavyweight championship when he was fighting uh, Jan in October 21, and then he pulls off the victory. He did, I we're talking about mental game. Yeah, he did, you know, we questioned about where his head is at. He did have a very bad mental lapse against Yuri that ultimately cost him the championship, but he had been winning on the scorecards. And
2: and And he would have won a decision to have it going to the Cards.
1: Correct. Which tells me that he still has, you know, even at his old age, even at 42, he can still go. And I think this is a case where experience is going to win out over the age factor. I think Lover Teixeira has just faced much better competition. I think this is going to be a very tough test for Jamal Hill. I think Jamal Hill's going to put up a hell of a fight. I think this is going to be fight of the night worthy, although it's going to have some competition when you're talking about the co-main event like we will in the second. But ultimately, I am going to side, I'm going to we're going to have our first disagreement. I'm going to side with the share regain in the title.
2: Interesting. And just a just a question, this is an outlier in this whole thing, but it was originally supposed to be Jamal Hill versus Anthony Smith. What do you do with Anthony Smith at this point?
1: I think with Anthony Smith, you look at a guy who is top 10, top 12 and needs, you know, and is a younger guy. I mean, I know, I, I mean, look, I but love
2: does, but, but does Anthony Smith, Tom, really at his age with his experience and him having over 50 fights, does he really want to fight someone that's a young up and comer? I don't, I don't, I don't think so.
1: I, I don't think so, but I think that's how the UFC views him. I, I think at this point, they're just going to use him as – they're going to use him as a gatekeeper, just whoever. Yeah, I,
2: I was going to say that.
1: Uh, whoever their next big young up-and-coming. A- and Hill was going to get that treatment with Anthony Smith up until the point where an emergency replacement was needed. As I said, is Hill deserving of the shot? I mean, I think this might be a little soon. I think, as I said before,
2: I think I – uh, Ant- I,
1: I think so too. I think – yeah, I, got I think the, a lot I got the shaft
2: yeah and i think and I think a lot of people would uh would agree with you too yeah I think i have got the shaft
1: i think now I think if Jamal hill wins you're gonna get much more craziness because now if the, the sharera gonna be able a rematch because he was the champ and then didn't get a fair fight i mean I mean a short notice fight it, I think Hill's gonna cause a whole bunch of chaos and You know, maybe that would be fun, and maybe that would go with how the year of the UFC has been thus far just two, three weeks into this year of absolute chaos. But I think, like I said, I think this is a case experience wins out. I'm going to go with uh, Glover on this one.
2: I think it would freshen up the division too if he was able to win this fight, without a doubt.
1: Fair All right.
2: Because you could have a young young champion that you could market for – Four or five years if he stays on the run that he's on. So,
1: all right. Now, this ends up being the co main event, but I think this really is the people's main event. Undisputed flyweight title on the line. You had the champion, Davison Figueredo, and you have the interim champion, Brando Moreno. These two were supposed to have their quadruple fight during. Last year, actually, we about I, actually, I think it was our pilot episode where we talked about Moreno defeating Kai Kara France for the interim gold, and that ends up setting up this fight here for January in Brazil, undisputed title on the line. Zan, I'm excited, and it's interesting because it's we have a four fight, but it's one, one, and one. Their first fight was a hell of a fight, fight of the year candidate. Would have been fight. It's the it was the men's fight of the year for twenty twenty. It would have been overall had it not been for Whaley and Joanna right before the pandemic. Uh, Moreno ends up coming out on top in the second fight. Probably the most. Uh, I mean, Biggie had its moments, but the most one sided of the fights was that second one. And then you had their third fight about a year ago that ended with Figueredo taking a controversial decision and evening, you know, it's 500 all around. So this is the decider. So Zan, what do you think? What do you think happens here? Who's going to take the series? Who's going to claim themselves the flyweight King once and for all?
2: Yeah, this is a great fight. This is a fight that we've been waiting for ever since number three in January of last year. And it's, it's, it's finally going to happen. Uh, there's no way this fight isn't boring. I've seen several people say that they can watch these two fight every weekend and they would be and they would be entertained. Um but <laughs> I I think uh I think Figueroa in his home country uh gets it done. I think he finishes Moreno. I think it's a longer fight. He'll do it in the fourth round. I just think Moreno just he has a lot of star power. Uh he's huge where he's from. Um I mean I mean, if he can uh, if he can land something on Figueroa, it's going to change the complexion of the fight. But I think Figueredo is going to use his grappling, and he's going to find the submission, and he's going to force Moreno to tap and, and 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 put a stamp on it once for, once and for all that he is the best flyweight on the planet. And then, uh, you know, I think it'll create a lot of goat conversations. You know, or who who is the who is the undisputed? Flyway goat is it davidson figueredo is it um is it um demetrius johnson is it even henry Segudo? i'm it it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what ends up happening at this fight but i do think that figueredo uh, finishes moreno and it's one of those fights that is going to be unforgettable and that will be talked about for years to come
1: i think then you know it's interesting because i was just looking up the scorecards for that first fight and technically, that fight should have been Figgy's, but Figgy was deducted a point in round three in that original fight because of a low blow. So, if the scorecards, there were two scorecards that ended up, I think, 47-47. So, really, this should be a 2-1, but the circumstances of that first fight with that point deduction means it's 1-1-1 one, one, one over- overall. I think Moreno did put up a hell of a fight in that third fight, although... I mean, I guess it makes up for the fact that Biggie could have won that first fight, so everything's kind of even. I know Moreno finished Biggie in that second fight. However, as you kind of implied, I think Figueredo has power. I think Figueredo has more upside to him. I think he just edges Moreno out just a little bit. It's one of those circumstances where I think like, if you had these two fight ten times, I think Figgy wins like Six, I think he just edges him out a little. I think Zen. I'm going to disagree on a finish. I think this one goes to distance yet again, but I think this time it's going to be a more clear decision in Figueroa's favor, and I'm going to have him retain the title.
2: Okay that that sounds that sounds good to me. Um, and yeah, the, there's no way this fight is not competitive, and uh, I think it'll have the Brazilian crowd buzzing the entire night. It's
1: going to be great. As I said, I think this is a potential contender. I think Teixeira versus Hill is going to be a great main event, but I think it's going to have a rough time going for fight of the night when you've got uh, the first ever UFC quadrilogy. Um, you look at, by the way, the rest of the main card here. Uh, we've got Gilbert Burns, who we already talked about before when it came to the welterweight title picture. He'll be sticking on Neil Magny in this one.
2: Yeah, I think this is going to clean up a log jam in the middle of the top five uh, for sure. Uh, Neil Magny's a stud; he's done it the hard way, um, and, it, and it's been a long road for him. This is a big fight for Gilbert Burns. I'm sure he wants that Hamzat might have rematch at some point on the road. That's a fight that he probably thought he got screwed in, um, and I really like Gilbert Burns here in this spot. I think he, w- I think he wins a decision and I think he is rather easily winning the first two rounds and then losing the third. Uh,
1: I'm going to agree with you. I think Gilbert Burns are more upside. I think he's got, not that Neil Magney doesn't have skill, I think Neil Maggie's a stud, but I think Gilbert Burns, he's definitely a gr- grappling expert, and I think he's got some pretty sick power that, I think this fight also goes to distance. I'm going to agree with you with unanimous decision, but I think Magney's going to, like in I say, late first round or middle of the second round, I think Burns is going to land a shot that kind of rocks
2: him. Interesting. Could very well happen. Once Burns hurts you, it's uh, it's usually not a good sign. So yeah, no. uh,
1: we've got a really zan interesting matchup when it comes to women's flyweight in Jessica Andrade and Murphy. <laughs> These are two uh, top five fighters who had their Crack at Valentina, and bo- both got finished. Um, in terms of the title picture, I mean, you've still got. We talked about it when it comes to women's lightweight. That Tally Santos arguably got screwed during the summer. That she might be waiting in the wings to see her Valentina rematch. So, I, um, I think, this... I think
2: she, I think, I think she did personally. I, think, I agree. I think, think so. She I, I scored. Yeah, I, I, I scored the. First fight for Santos, and I, think, and I think there were a lot of people who did. I think I think the takedowns made the difference. But, again, this is another one of those fights where whoever wins, you're going to see a lot more clarity in that division to see who Valentina would want to fight, either a rematch between one of these two or a tie, or a tie with Santos rematch. There's all, There's a lot of options at 125, without a doubt.
1: So when it comes to this fight, who do you think has the edge?
2: Uh, I'm gonna go Warren Murphy by split decision.
1: I think this is I. I'm gonna agree on a split decision. I think this one is very, very close. I mean, Jessica Andrade has some great power. Was the strawweight champion before she moved up to flyweight. Um, but Murphy, other than that lost to Valentina, has been streaking. And I mean, everybody has lost to Valentina, so really you can't really hold that too much against her. So except I'm gonna- for
2: Except for Amanda Nunes, of
1: course. Of, of, yes, except for Amanda But that was also at phantom weight. I'm talking exclusively at flyweight. Other than the fact that we both think Talia Santos got screwed in that last fight. But right. Lauren Murphy right. has all the momentum in her side. I think it'll be close. I'm going to agree with you on a split in favor of Lauren Murphy.
2: Yeah, it's definitely one of those where, where it could go either way. And it's a very high... Of a fight that, to be quite honest with you, could easily have an interim flyweight tag on it if it really, if it really wanted to.
1: And then we've got opening up the main card. Then a really interesting fight at light heavyweight between Paul Craig Bear Jew, and Johnny Walker.
2: Uh, yeah, this is a must win for Johnny Walker. Uh, if he doesn't win this fight, I don't, re- oh, you know, worry goes from here. He has to win this fight, so I'm picking him to win this fight simply for the sole reason that he's at home and he probably wants to have some sort of crazy finish and celebration, so I'm picking that Paul Craig gets slept on Saturday.
1: Uh, Yeah, this is a must win for Johnny Walker. Paul Craig, on the other hand, I mean, he had a win streak going, fell in his last fight, uh, I'm gonna. I'm this is gonna be one where I'm gonna disagree too. I think this one ends in a finish. I think we're both gonna agree on the finish, but I think Paul Greg locks him in a submission and forces the tap in like second round.
2: Could, could very well happen. Paul Gregg is a wizard on the ground. You are you are correct about that. I mean, look at what I mean, look at what he did to Jamal now, Hill
1: exactly. Now, Zan, Usually, we just briefly talk about the prelims and talk about you know other preliminary fights, but I think we gotta talk about the main prelim itself because the if we're talking about how this is it, well, this is it for one of the greatest that this sport has ever seen. A former light heavyweight champion, Mauricio Shogunrua, will be competing in his final fight against Cir Pateria, and I I, get, I just want to talk, highlight this. as a as a little salute to one of the greatest
2: yeah i mean i've been watching shogun ever since he transitioned over from bride to the ufc and he's delivered a lot of memorable moments and uh you know he's fighting a kid you know who's a young stud and it's not like shogun has seen these kinds of fighters before um was on an ace run obviously as you see there he lost his last fight uh shogun has been hit or miss he's had some uh weird ups and downs in his UFC run did win the light heavyweight title in 2010. So I think it goes to show he's one of the best ever. Uh, um, I know that a lot of people really aren't giving him a chance to win this fight, but I just don't see Oshogun doesn't go on top with a win similar to when Nogueira knocked out Brendan Schaub. I think it's going to be one of those fights. And I think we're going to see Hua, uh excite the Brazilian fans in the crowd and, uh, I think he'll win a late third round uh, TKO against against Pateria, in my opinion.
1: That would be incredible, especially if Pateria is able to take the first couple of rounds. Uh, I think the UFC is hoping that, you know, Shogun gets taken out by Pateria. I don't think it's going to happen as quickly as the UFC would like. This ain't going to be no first round knockout. Um, Shogun is just too (laughs) tough for that one. I think this. He, I think if a finish happens, I think if a finish happens, like Yuzan, I don't know if it happens in Ruas' favor. I might lean more to Sarah, but I think if a finish happens, this isn't finished till third round, if there even is a finish at all. Th- this is a fight I could even see going to distance. I, this is for not sure. be
2: This is the this is the headliner on ABC, so hopefully it does deliver. But yeah, for a card that's strictly internet. This is a phenomenal card. There's 15 fights total on this card. Um, I mean, it's 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 going to be. fun. J- just briefly highlighting fight number five, I really do like Terrence McKinney in this spot here. I think he does something masterful and wins in viral fashion um, on the prelims.
1: That's my hey, that's my. Hey, favorite I was looking favorite. at the same. I was looking at the same one, Dan, and I agree.
2: That's my favorite prelim out of all these, but. Yeah, this card is solid. Um, it's definitely worth the pay-per-view price, especially those top four fights are all really high-quality. You fights. This is one of the better uh, January pay-per-views that the UFC has put together in probably quite some time. I think you'd have to go all the way back to, jeez. I mean, they. Uh, I mean, you got to you got to think they even have like a really good January card probably in like four or five years. But this is this is a solid one. Uh, best bets, I like. Um I like figueredo Moreno over three and a half rounds. I like Jamal Hill money line. Uh and I also like um I also like um uh Gilbert Burns to win a decision. Those are my those are my three best bets. Solid. Uh
1: I'm gonna go with uh figueredo versus Moreno over three and a half rounds as well. I'm going to lean to Andrade versus Murphy goes the distance. Um, I, I'm I if we're going to both be on the Terrence McKinney hype train, I think I got to put a Terrence McKinney uh, money line on that one. And then, yeah, so, I, think that's that's that solid the, I think those are the three. And then, if you want to throw, I I'll agree with you with Burns, but I think that would be more of a uh, bonus sprinkle.
2: True. If, if your first three bets go as they – well, if your first two bets go as they're supposed to because, of course, Burns is before the co-main event. Well, you'd have to hope yeah. that your first two bets go well, and then you can worry about that.
1: For sure. All right, Zan. That was a hell of an episode. We, I think, Zan, are going to try and get some more people – and their perspectives throughout the week. I don't know if we'll exactly include them in, you know, say next week, waiting for next week's episode. I think if we get any more people, any more guests, there might be their own little guest spots on the network. So stay tuned for the network. I mean, Zan, this is, this is one of the biggest stories that MMA has had in a while. I mean, this is a raucous start to 2023. And like I said, little to none of it is what's going on inside the cage.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't remember a year in MMA where you could say that that was the big story. I mean, I guess you could go all the way back to maybe 2009 or 10 when, you know, Affliction was going through its growing pains at the beginning of 09 when they didn't know if they were going to continue to have events. But maybe since then, you can correct me if there's been a bigger story to kick off a year than, than, than it's occurred. I don't know if I could tell you. Another one, maybe, maybe it's Conor McGregor's return uh, back to the UFC for the fir- first time since 2018 because that had a lot of heat on it. There was a lot of speculation around him and what he had been doing outside of the cage. But besides those two, I don't, I don't really know if there's, there's another no one that could top what the first two weeks in January have really been like. And just as a reminder, there is no UFC next weekend or. Um, like coming up the weekend of the thirtieth. Oh so next weekend's podcast will probably be a heavier news um news program where yeah. um the fallout of two eighty three and and what other stuff happened related to either the Francis Ngannou situation or even the Dana White D V incident. And so we'll keep you posted on all of that. But this was a very good engaging episode. Again, we thank Curtis for coming on and uh, helping us uh, to facilitate the discussions before you guys go though, be sure to like, and subscribe to everything that is empty. The bench network, including MMA outsiders, ETB and social media. Uh, you can follow me at sandband on 89. You can also find my work at bjpen.com. You can find Tom's work at fan side the MMA. Um, we're we're going to have a lot to cover over the next few weeks and months. So it should be very interesting to, to talk about the state of the sport and what we're, only happens because once this once this next week is over, Tom, we have a as in February it might be one of the biggest Februarys um, in recent memory. So we're excited to bring it to you. And uh, as we always say, MMA never sleeps, and the first two weeks really showed that.
1: Yeah, really. Even when uh, the supposed off season, all this news started breaking. And as you said, February it's going to be even more massive when you have Bellator debuting on the CBS, the network of CBS. And uh UFC two eighty-four with the champ there's a champ fight there. So gonna be absolutely insane. Uh thank you for all for tuning in. I'm Talbano, that's Sam Bando. And remember everybody, in this new year, with all this madness, there is always something to keep you sane. Be Joe Piper.
2: B Joe Piper, as we as we always like to say, thank you guys again for tuning in and enjoy the fights on Saturday.
1: We'll see you next week, everybody. Take care.